Hello and welcome to episode 124 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast with me, Stephen Hill. Just before we get into my my co-hosts, plural, this week, I just want to say because it's a special week, a week before Christmas, Twas the week before Christmas and all through the min- the music industry, not a person was stirring, not even the many sexual predators that we inhabit within our scene um so we're doing something a little bit festive and we're gonna introduce to you our colorful cast of characters or as always renfrey deadman hello renfrey hello steve what an intro wow uh, <laughs> i'm i'm what are people getting themselves into with this festive fun edition of riot at podcast i don't know but well yes. what they what they're getting into is once again our longtime friend and confidant who we brought back during our second birthday celebrations and we decided to bring him back again as you all loved hearing his voice so much it's only bloody gill james gill here he is thanks for having me back it's lovely to have you mate absolutely Um, lovely i think after last time seemed to go so well i look forward to uh disappointing you this time by it being not quite as good yeah the difficult follow-up yeah. Difficult second <laughs> podcast, isn't it? That's a, <laughs> that's the one. Um, for those of you who don't know, Gil used to be the former Metal Hammer editor at large and left early 2012, I want to say. Gil, that's right, isn't it? Yeah. And basically doesn't really know anything about rock music. He used to know about it and now he doesn't know anything about it at all. You now listen to just sort of weird ambient music yeah, Man, that's what I Google it? most mornings um, <laughs> and then listen to it for eight hours until I have dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what we've done um, for this kind of little pre-Christmas special is we have asked Gil to pick 10 bands that he wanted to talk about that he used to cover or feature or was interested in during his final days at Metal Hammer. And we're going to get him to guess what they've been up to in the intervening years and then see how close his predictions are to reality. So stay tuned as he learns about what has been going on with Lone Atlantis, Alexis on Fire, Anvil, We Butter the Bread with Butter, Sebastian Back, Motley Crue, Bleeding Through, or Marta from Bleeding Through, specifically, as you said in your message to me, <laughs> Down, Bullet for, your, Bullet for My Valentine, and Brace Yourself, Lost Profits. Um, yeah, you should know a little bit about what's been going on with them. If you, but if anyway, you have we'll a, get into that, if a you have, bit if later. you have a feeling you don't want to listen to that bit, just don't listen to that bit. <laughs> I would. Say. We've stuck it on the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we've, we've done that on, on purpose. End. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, before we go any further, we just want to say a very big thank you to our good friends at Signature Brew. You've still got time, actually. Have you got time to order something from SignatureBrew.co.uk to get it in time for Christmas? Maybe just. Yep. Maybe just, hey, look, beer is not just for Christmas. It's for all year round. So go to signaturebrew.co.uk where they have been brewing since 2011. While you were still working in rock music, Gil, they started doing well, beers. it must be just yeah. about ready then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 2011 East London, they've worked with the likes of Mastodon, Frank Turner, Ennett Shikari, Slaves, Idols, Sports Team, Jamie Lenman to produce some of the finest beverages in uh, in our world and they're good lads and we want to say happy christmas to them we want to say thanks very much for their continued support and as i said go over to signaturebrew.co.uk and you can get 10 percent off all of their lovely beers and beverages when you put the code riot act into the checkout in uh in small capitals hey which is what we've been calling them 
Guild, by the way, in case small capitals. It was a hilarious slip of the tongue on the first week that we did this, and it's become. Well, I was going to say it's become a thing. I say it's become a thing. I'm not sure if it actually has become a thing. I think I just keep saying it. A bit like Sepultura getting a new drummer. You know when that stopped being funny? Do you remember that? I thought you meant small capitals like Vilnius, the capital of Lithuania. (laughs) It's this kind of great insight into things that we don't really know about is why you keep getting asked back. Well, of course, what with my my infinite wisdom about Eastern European uh, countries, (laughs) I'll be invaluable to the Riot Act podcast... Exactly, exactly that. Uh, also, we should say go over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash right podcast, where you can sign up uh, for our exclusive patron stuff, like the £5 yeah. tier, yeah. where you get, I forgot what it was called then, the Classic Albums, Classic Albums tier. podcast. Just done a double special on the Foo Fighters, first two records, a self-titled debut album and The Colour and the Shape mm. from 1997. Yes, please. I've been pretty down on Foo Fighters for a long time, so I was I was, I was, was nice about the Foo Fighters for the first time in fucking ages, to be honest, Renfrew. You it, like that, didn't you? It was nice to hear, yeah, it's about time. I mean, you, you cannot underestimate the growl, you know, and those two, first two records are just fantastic rock records, so well mm. worth putting in there, I think. Um, yeah. I've just remembered something else that I want to plug as well. If people are listening to this the day that this podcast comes out, uh, tomorrow, uh, Saturday the 19th of December is Bad Pond Festival, um, which is a free live stream. Starts at half past two. I'm doing interviews with all of the bands in between sets, and it's totally free. We have Jamie Lenman, St. Agnes, Orchards, A.A. Williams, Gender Rolls, Yumi and the Weather, and one other I've forgotten. Oh are they God. bands, Renfrey? These are bands, yeah, yeah. Oh, and Clip. Yeah, they they are, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, so uh, uh, if you'd like to check that out, it's absolutely free, and I would recommend you do so. Did you get that last one? Gil Clit Drip is a band, a really good band as well. Really good band. Well, again, probably won't Google that on the old uh, work browser. Um, no. I'll stick with my weird ambient music, um, I think. Yeah, yeah. that uh, leaves less of a, a naughty footprint, doesn't it? The old uh, weird ambient. Yeah, Clit Drip are a, good, a very, very good band. Yeah, do that. Listen to that. Um, I was going to mention Foo Fighters because you like Foo Fighters. Why don't you, Gil? They're one of your bands that you... <laughs> are kind of, I guess, still aware of. It became a bit of a joke in the office because in about 2010, I kind of discovered the Foo Fighters. <laughs> um, and, and it became this kind of thing that I'd go, ooh, do you know what? I, I Just FYI, everyone, you know, Foo Fighters, really good. Really, you know, well worth, you know, when Wasting Light came out. I was like, this is just, <laughs> hey, just quickly, everyone. Hello, everyone in the office, just Foo Fighters, worth worth checking if you haven't there's this great um, band called nirvana which you should really check out oh yeah he, he's the guy from nirvana <laughs> fyi yeah so but because i wasn't really there doing that in the 90s and so i just sort of wasn't really paying attention and then sort of went oh fine i'll listen to like one by one um and watch the jack black video i was like yeah no i i like him now yeah um right. so i was late to it but i have oddly it's been they're one of the few bands i've been listening to in the last year or two um while doing the hoovering on a saturday <laughs> my metal hour well it's been quite good because i feel like i am the sort of link between you and renfrey because renfrey never listened to utah saints in the 90s so yeah, but that's because um, that's because renfrey was only there probably for a portion of the 90s how old are you renfrey um i was born 1985 so i was technically oh there, fair okay you just so look so sort of youthful I'm very glad. I'm very glad you think so. I'm, I've, I've just had a hair. Here's a thing. I've just had a haircut for the first time in 12 years. Yesterday, 
I got these locks cut. I only got like three inches cut off just to make the ends a little bit tidier. And I also had a beard trim. I know this is an audio podcast, but... um, Mm -hmm. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Marks out of 10, Steve. (laughs) I mean, it looks exactly the same to me. I I would never have known. Yeah, that's fine, Renfrey. Don't don't ask me what I think. (laughs) No, I... Gil, tell me you. Uh, out of ten. Fine. Come on. No, leave it. Leave it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Fine. Cool, that went downhill quickly. Um, good work. <laughs> Bring us anyway, back. Yeah. Foo Fighters, check them out, guys, <laughs> yes, if you haven't yes. heard them. They're quite good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's over at patreon.com forward slash out podcast where you can get all kinds of stuff. And we will be putting out one more of those before Christmas, theoretically. Because <sighs> we're gonna be we're gonna be doing Oh, God. We're going to be doing the White Album by the Beatles. And I'm in the process of trying to research that. And I'm shitting myself. Gil, Why, is there nothing online? <laughs> yeah, because it's just, it's just no one ever talks about this band, unfortunately. So, um, oh. yeah, we're, do, we're doing the White Album by the Beatles. And there is it will probably be about 15 hours long. Mm-hmm. So, um, good. Uh, right. Okay, let's get into it. Now, 10 bands who were of some interest or significance around about a decade ago. Um, we're going to start off with one that I know you loved, Gil. You loved Lower Than Atlantis. Yeah. Now, I sort of remember Far Q and World Record particularly being albums that you were mad for. And what, what might seem insane to me and Renfrey now is that Lower Than Atlantis were in Metal Hammer quite a lot back when you were there, which today, I mean, correct me, yeah, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, Renfrey, that sounds like an odd thing to say in 2020, right? When you certainly, when you look back at the records that they released um, post, uh, is it Worlds Apart? Well, no, that's fucking Trailer Death. Changing Tune was the one that came out in about 2012 or 13. That was, yeah. that was kind of the point where it's like, oh, I don't know if this is really a Metal Hammer band anymore, wasn't it? But those, I actually revisited those two, first two Lower Than Atlantis records today because it had been a while and they, they've stood up pretty well, actually. And certainly I can see it's they're certainly not a metal band but they do have a fast aggressive very punky diy edge on those records uh, certainly enough to um for hammer to be interested i would have thought so i don't think it's crazy but yeah looking at it from 2020 seems a bit odd so gil go on give us a skinny on atlantis and just how you felt about them at the time i think it took me a while because it was a hammer for sort of five or six years and I always really enjoyed the idea of like discovering a band and watching their sort of rise. But actually it didn't really happen for the first sort of three or four years. Um, and then it sort of started to happen to bands like and Shikari, who I'd sort of, you know, um, had demos of and were on their way up. Glamour of the Kill. We literally had a, you know, a CDR demo come in and they sort of, I don't, again, I don't know, maybe I should have added them to the list or maybe not. Um, but Lower Atlantis, we, we heard Far Q, just thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, loved it, championed the band. Um, but just towards that Changing Tune album, it, um, like a lot of bands, they started to become more interested in songwriting and the music than the style and the delivery. And I could see that Mike's ambition, Mike Deuce, the um, singer-songwriter, his ambition was to write great songs. Um, and I think, that, you know, the parallel you could argue with Guns N' Roses and Axl Rose is that he didn't really want to be in a heavy metal band. He wanted to be Elton John. Um, and and Mike Deuce, like, likewise, wanted to write huge pop songs and did was starting to write them for, was it McFly and or Busted, I think, at that point, was writing sort of pop punk songs. Uh, and then I just, I mean, I saw them once up here in Norwich 
and who knows what what's happened since. Well, that's funny you say actually because we have given you a multiple choice question to answer for each of these bands. All right. And the question for you about Learn the Atlantis is Mike Juice ended up co-writing a song for which of these bands? Is it A, Little Mix, B, Ollie Murs, or C, Five Seconds of Summer? Well, I don't know who the last band are. Okay. That, that sort of, give me, what's, are they, are they like Little Mix or are they like Ollie Murs? Um, they were a... <laughs> I mean, it'll give it away because, okay, to give this, pretty much give this one away, they're a bit like Busted and McFly. Oh, okay, then Ollie Murs. No, no, it is five. <laughs> it is. He wrote. He co-wrote the song "Heartache" on the big screen by Five Seconds of Summer. Um, who I haven't heard it personally. I'm. I know Renfrey won't have heard it. Surely, no. um, Five Seconds of Summer were a, were one of those. I guess McFly slash Busted esque bands who um, tread that line between pop and oh, but they they're a rock band who play guitars. Blah blah blah. It's a similar kind of thing to that. Kerrang really went big on them for a few like a year 18 months yeah they were on the cover quite a lot and it was a little was bit outrage like, oh. yes <laughs> people were annoyed very very angry but yeah mm. Mm. so yeah so you're right uh mike juice probably that's the biggest song that he's ever written well uh, that's offensive I w- but <laughs> well I, I i i imagine in terms of streams and sales and commercially profile yeah, commercially probably. It is. It is. And it's it kind of taps into what you were saying, that he was thinking about writing big songs for people. So did um what kind of what kind of happened in uh in the last I guess five years? Because really I, I just have no idea. I didn't weren't they gonna break up? Did they finish? So, are they just not doing anything anymore? What's are there new bands, spin offs? Well they released the very commercial sounding two thousand and fourteen album, the self titled The Lone Atlantis, which I actually like. I actually think that is quite a good record. It's got some quite good songs on it. It's probably not a particularly cool thing to say, particularly when I they're tied in with a lot of bands that I really don't like at all. But it got them on Radio 1, and they were in that sort of group of bands behind stuff like... Like when Royal Blood happened, when Royal Blood got to number one, I felt like suddenly bands like Learn of Atlantis got a little bit of an extra push and it looked like they might do something quite big. And then Safe and Sound came out in 2017, which was their last album. And I thought that was pretty ho-hum for me personally, but they still kind of clung to a little bit of mainstream love for a bit, I think. But I do think by 2017, the rock scene had moved on quite a lot. And um, they played a headline show on the 11th of May, 2019 at Brixton Academy, which was their last show before they split up. Um, the statement they released was pretty kind of it's been great but we're just going to move on to other things and you know that early tens group of sort of t-shirt t-shirt top shop rock bands they grouped in had kind of all gone bar bar don broco don broco seemed to be like last man standing Mm, in in that lot but um there was sort of no need for them by you know the, the from probably from about mid 2016 onwards all of those bands just started to kind of disintegrate really now i know this is the completely obvious elitisty thing to say but for a start you you can track the heaviness decline from the the ep or whatever breton which i mm-hmm. occasionally listen to their first thing which was super heavy mm-hmm. um uh, i mean you know not dillinger heavy but it was a heavy um you know punk hardcore uh ep i would have called then- them hardcore at that point Right, yeah. yeah, and it's it's um, 
And then you've got Fark You, which is a bit more sort of punk and rolls, yeah. sort of um, then uh, World Record, which is big tunes. And by changing tune, which is great, when they kind of, kind of got, went mad in the studio, like things that sounded like The Cure and, you know, all of but still fantastic songwriting. But just the weight, the meat in there was just disappearing, like a straight line up a graph. And so to your point, Steve, is it that by 2017, when you said that no one needed this band, it's kind of because, you know, pop things blow away like dandelion heads in the wind, you know, whereas if you're still in the underground with your roots, I'm loving this metaphor, um, you know, like heavy band, <laughs> no one gr- outgrew Converge. No, no. Uh, Renfrey, would you like to take your kind of hypothesis on this? Well, I think certainly the the last album, Safe and Sound, that's one of those records that can be um, reviewed by its title alone. There, there just was <laughs> nothing particularly exciting happening with Lower Than Atlantis anymore. And I think with the change of songwriting style, I think you're right to... to I think you are right, actually. I think Mike Deuce did just want to write songs. He didn't really care too much about genre. Um, he was just more of an interesting presence in those earlier punkier um, sort of modes, I guess. He had a charisma to him, which really shone through in interviews and so on and so forth. And then when the songwriting change changed, it felt like um, someone somewhere said, dial things down on like your loud mouthness. Um, Because he was still... I, I encountered him a couple of times. I say encountered. I, he's a perfectly nice man, but I'm, I encountered him a couple of times during during those later albums, and he definitely was still a loudmouth. He just wasn't in the press because um, because they were very young as yeah. well. I think you you know again because um, you know I, I don't think it would be um, incorrect to say we sort of became pals a bit in as much as journos and bands do because I you know followed the band around. They were just fantastic. Loved seeing them live. Um, and it may well be that that just happens, like the such a patronising thing to say, but the, just growing up, right? Yeah. When you're 20, the stuff that you think is awesome. Um, we went out once with him and a pal of his who was Swedish to um, uh, Big Red on Holloway Road, and the Swedish guy just did a piss on the floor. I'm not joking, he was sitting at a table, and he just got his dick out and pissed on the floor. And I was, I mean, I was, what, 30 32. And at that point, not that I would have thought it was awesome when I was 20. Um, I'm not Rick Mayle. Um, but it just, um, and maybe that's the kind of thing you just grow out of and you grow up, right? I don't grow out maybe. of that. I, I, no, I, I was on the floor, Renfrey. <laughs> I took a piss on the floor just before he started, yeah. <laughs> Renfrey is the king of Arctan Gent Festival. He pisses where he wants. Um, I think. Like the other thing that we have that I haven't mentioned, I sort of touched on a bit when I say why they didn't need them, is that when you look back, I mean, funnily enough, I was listening to Feed the Rhino the other day and I was like, God, Feed the Rhino were really good, weren't they? They're actually really, really good. But there's this reputation that a lot of those bands in the sort of early part of this decade had that they all sort of got a little bit calmer, they all got a little bit more melodic, they all kind of chased the the sort of mainstream success, uh, maybe slightly too much. I think at the end of Feed the Rhino's career, the last album they put out, it, it felt like a much more neutered version of them. But there were a lot of bands from that time who I think you were clinging to to anything because it was because there was a lot of, there was, you know, bands like Yumi at Six and whatever who were getting massive and you're just like, there's really nothing in the UK that is any good that people are really gravitating to. And then in late 2015, Marmosets came along and I'm not sure if you're aware of Marmosets. They've been on Radio 1 a fair bit and they had a little kind of bit of success for a minute. But Marmosets seemed to kind of open the door for 
the group of bands that have come through from the UK in the last five years, I'm thinking people like Creeper and Black Peaks and um, Venom Prison and Employed to Serve and all these other bands that have come through in the aftermath of that happening just feel so much more unique and feel so much more interesting and exciting. And it, it's just better. The second half of the decade ushered in a lot of music, which was just so much better than the first half, particularly in the kind of UK underground scene. And when you get like a top 10 album for Creeper, when you get like, you know, Black Peaks getting played on Radio 1, and when you get like, you know, Employed to Serve signing to a major label, it's kind of proof positive that, people want their rock bands to be a little bit odd and a little bit wilder and i just felt like learn atlantis the the closer they got to the royal blood radio one mainstream thing the more they were kind of digging themselves deeper into a hole that because you're never going to stick around for that that's not there's no longevity in that really as i think all of those bands like i say bar don broco have proven they're all gone now you know um i think death of is still around and i think um Yes. How about We're the Ocean? Um, they're, no, gone. they're gone. Mallory, Mallory Knox, gone. I mean, you mentioned Glamour the Kill, gone. Yashin, gone. They're, they're all gone. Like, they're all, they're literally all gone. Well, there's a lot, lot of redundancies broken. due to the pandemic. <laughs> a lot of redundancies <laughs> due to the pandemic. And those, you know, those those leather trousers that Yashin wore, they, they weren't chilling. You know, there's a lot of mascara that those guys were wearing, and that needs to be paid for. Um, so, yeah, I just think that music just got better as those bands got worse and it's kind of inevitable to see you know there was no big i mean the fact is really they got to brixton the fact they got to brixton academy for their last gig it's, it's not bad no. like over a 10 year period no <laughs> no atlantis yeah oh yeah 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 Yashin wouldn't be allowed to go and stand on the floor of Brixton Academy, <laughs> let alone to watch a band, let alone <laughs> let alone play there, for fuck's sake. Um, I think something, just yeah. to hammer home your point as well, Steve, I think if um, Lower Than Atlantis were releasing the stuff that they were back then now, um, I don't think they would have disappeared uh, in and amongst all that stuff as well, but I think they would have been like one of the mid-tier bands that we were excited about from the British scene. Whereas I think at that time they were one of the most exciting things that was happening. I think there's an interesting, I've always found this interesting, right? You know, um, I think I speak for everyone um, on the podcast is I've liked lots of different types of music in my life, you know, could be considered quite faddy, get, get in something for a few years, maybe a number of years, and then you come out. And I just don't know if I was in a band, I'd probably want to do the same thing. You know, those bands like ACDC, Slayer, who just produced the same album again and again, like there was something that they wanted to achieve. They didn't quite get there. So let's go back in the studio and record another 12 songs. Um, I think it would just drive... I'd want to be in different bands and different things. Um, you know, um, at the drive-in to Mars Volta to whatever comes next, you know, Tom York through the Radiohead stuff. So I can I can totally see it from the point of view of... Mike and and Lowe and Atlantis is you're like well we've done Far Q I don't really care if you want more of that I don't I want to do something new and to change so uh, I mean it's slightly different because it wasn't necessarily a stylistic change it was more just got less and less heavy but um, yeah I, I can see I, that I think the problem with it is that all of those bands did the same thing mm. is they all got less less heavy and they all went to see if they could get on Radio One and I think that that was it was almost like you, you know it didn't feel I, I, if if you were doing what Radiohead were doing, you don't listen to Radiohead and go, oh, 
you know, kid A is a bloody or sellout. So like, of course they're going to do that. That's what's going to sell. Like, it's not the obvious thing to do. Like, no one's looking at melancholy and infinite sadness and going, oh yeah, Billy Corgan jumping on the old two out <laughs> double, double disc grunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, no, no one's doing that, but it's a different thing to do. Whereas if you're going, oh, how do we write these songs and make them a bit prettier to get on Radio 1 because it's kind of what worked for Royal Blood. At that point, it's like, yeah, I can understand why you want to do something different, but why is there something different that you want to do the same different thing that everyone else wants to do? Sure. Which just appears to be writing really bland pop songs to get you on the radio for 10 minutes. And that was the problem with Learn Atlantis and their um, their contemporaries, I think. So there you go. Um, what did you think? Had you had, I mean, you were presumably already knew most of the stuff that had happened to them. Did you no. kind of leave... Oh, okay. I really didn't. Right. Uh, you know, oh, literally, I, saw, I saw them a couple of times in Norwich in like 2012, 2013. Wasn't wild about that album that came out um, and just sort of just started to Google Ambient. Yeah, good. All right, good. Well, there you go. That's Lone Atlantis. Now you know. Interesting. I hope you're happy. Um, <laughs> I'll wait for the reunion tour in 10 years. Oh, well, it will definitely, undoubtedly, they will reform at some point, I'm sure. Um, let's move on to another band that I know you're very, very keen on, Alexis on Fire. Now, I listened to Alexis on Fire on the build-up to this because I, n- I never got it personally. I know loads of people who love, loved, love Alexis on Fire. Again, they're a band that I just, I just never really got into. I'm assuming that you were aware that they were about to or had gone on hiatus by the time you sort of left hammer girl would that be fair to say i think it happened off after i left but i was vaguely aware um but i think i was concentrating on buying wellies or something so just (laughs) it just sort of you know i just i wasn't really sort of um i'd just drawn a line right you know i was looking at other things so um but yeah I, i have no idea did they did they come back to an album or what's the well we'll get into that in a little bit um Renfrey, you love Alexis on Fire, right? Good for you, I, Renfrey. I really do. And actually, it is you I have to thank for it because they... You're they very pass, welcome. They passed me by for a very long time, but you um, <laughs> talked about Old Crow's Young Cardinals on um, the Metal Hammer podcast so much. Uh, and I checked it out and I love that record. I'm a, I, I really love Alexis, um, particularly the latter two records. Um, the first two are okay, but they do sound very of their time. Uh, but the latter two are very, very, very good indeed. So, Renfrey, do you mean the first album... And the second album, do you mean the, of of something that's happened since 2012? Uh, I do. We'll, we'll I, get into what's happened we'll get into that. in a little bit. Yeah, yeah we'll yeah. get into that. First of all, I think we should ask you our question for Alexis on Fire. So their last mm-hmm. London show, Gil, was on the 1st of June in 2019. Uh, was it at A, the 1500 cap electric ballroom, B, the 3300 uh, 3, cap roundhouse, or C, the fourth? 104,000 cap Ali Pali. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 104,000. They're not playing Wembley Stadium. 10,400. 10, 10, Sorry, I didn't put I didn't put commas in these numbers, which I absolutely They're not the Rolling Stones. They haven't turned into the Rolling Stones. So. Sorry, yeah. So Electric Ballroom, Roundhouse or Ali Pali. That's really interesting because I've off, I was often surprised at the power of bands to command. So when Thunder broke up, right? Thunder, who mm. I love, um, played the Astoria um, and for like four years in a row. And then they broke up and did a last show, which meant they played the Apollo. And it's like, oh, hello, here you all are then. So can I just say, can I just butt in there with Thunder? Thunder's last show in London 
was at Wembley Arena. <gasps> Fair play to them. That's awesome. Supported by Terrorvision. I mean, not my choice, but there you go. Ooh, um, <laughs> mental you do. Anyway, you like Terrorvision, don't you? We both I love Terrorvision, and I, I couldn't care about Thunder at all. But anyway, yeah, so um, go oh. on, continue. And I also want to put in the mix that the band like to sort of curate everything. You know, they've got a high... Um, so when, when Dallas did uh, City in the Colour solo, he went to play Union Chapel in Islington, mm. which is just like a really cool... It's a very cool venue, yeah. unique... Um, and I can see them wanting to pick something that's more interesting than the electric ballroom. They definitely would have saw. I think I saw them at Brixton one year on the um, uh, whatever that album was in, like two thousand and eight. Uh, so I get maybe Ali Pally. Correct. That it is was. Correct. Yeah. And how, what was the capacity yeah. of Ali Pally again? Ten thousand four hundred. Ten thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and can I just ask, was that part of a tour or was it like a one-off only UK show? I think that was their only UK show, wasn't it? I mean, they so they did their last gig uh, on the 3rd of December 2012 before they split up at Brixton Academy. And then they basically split but came back in 2015. So there wasn't a big gap between them going away. Um, when they came back in 2015, they played the main stage at Reading. I think they were fourth from the top. Yep. I think it was only Metallica, Bring Me the Horizon and Royal Blood yep. that were above them on the main stage. That sounds Yeah, like- well, I mean, you know, people were... I, people seem to be like... I, You know, I remember Alex on Fire and I think people seem to like City and Colour more than Alexis towards the end, I felt. I never felt like they were a massively huge band. And then they played this gig at Brixton Academy and I thought, what's well, their last gig. Fair play. They played they've, a bit like Learning Land. It's gone out with a bang. They came back just, and people, th- just three years later, people were losing their shit for it. Well, I should interject there and say that they actually played four nights on the trot at Brixton Academy for those shows before they split up. So fucking hell, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. so actually, there was a massive kind of like, I think when people realized, oh shit, they're splitting up, everyone came out of the woodwork, including me, actually. It was actually the first time I'd saw them uh, mm. on those Brixton shows. They were fucking amazing. So they've came back in 2015 and they've been back ever since. Um, Gil, any predictions for what <laughs> they've they been really, doing? They've in really, that? I, I have to say, I, I just thought that that was gone. I've heard like chat about that there would be something. You know, there's been something in the last few years, but I didn't know that they literally only went, I say only, they only went away for a couple of years. So what's your prediction for what you reckon they've been doing in this last five years since they come back then? If you had to guess. I know I know that they all really, really love music and making music. Um, I know they're all really different characters. And hence, you know, when they did their solo projects uh, you know wade's black lungs then into front of gallows L- black lungs by the way if if you're even slightly interested in alexis you should absolutely check out black lungs it's wade's solo project it's a cross between the clash and bruce springsteen it's fantastic but anyway sorry so um they you can't do alexis on fire without dallas um and City in Colour, it was great he had great success with it but i guess that sort of stopped being as interesting or he wants to do both things I'm just buying time, guys. I have no idea what the answer is to the question. <laughs> You've not so, done too bad. You've not done too bad at all. So basically, much like in the sort of last 10 years, um, we've I, we've become, I think, sort of exhausted with reformations. Much like System of a Down, Radiance Machine, At the Driving, Soundgarden, The Misfits, Guns N' Roses, Faith No More, The Black Crows, Glassjaw, I could go on. Um there hasn't been a hell of a lot of new material from them. I mean, a few of those bands that I've mentioned have reformed and released an album. 
Um, I deliberately didn't put Refused in there as I have released a couple of albums, but for the most part, you've had maximum one record from those bands. Uh, Alex on Fire have released, what, three songs? Is it Renfrew? Three songs. I think it's two. I think it's two. Two songs. Yeah, well, you don't want to rush these things. (laughs) Well, um, their last album still remains uh, Old Crows, Young Cardinals. We had a live album. Dog's Blood EP. Dog's Blood EP. Yeah, which is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's it. That's all we've had. And they're not the only ones, to be fair. So I don't really want to shit on Lex on Fire. But I think, as people who listen to this podcast will know, I am so fucking bored and I hate the way that bands reform and then choose to do basically fuck all apart from ride that nostalgia train it's boring as fuck to me now it's really interesting the difference and maybe we'll talk about this if we talk about motley crew is the difference between a band who are like a working band who just play live shows you can do that if you really hate someone or if the spark is gone you can still get on stage because you know exactly what you've got to do you don't have to do anything new you just play the same stuff whereas if the spark and the will to get in a room and jam a song and to take, you know, some raw chords and a melody to, to three or four people and say, hey, you know, let's work this up and, and really do that. Um, uh, I think there's just, yeah, you become a working band. Um, I mean, you know, my dad goes and sees a lot of the band, 60s bands like the Animals and stuff like that. They're not sitting in a room jamming up, trying to make new songs. Um but yeah, I, I think it's a shame because again, to some of the absolute best music of the last twenty years was from Alexis on Fire in that in that genre. I mean, I, I still revisit that. It's just exceptional. Um, no one even got close, I think, to what they were doing. The, that sort of I don't know, screamo, whatever you want to call it, just was just fantastic. And the evolution of the band as well didn't do as we were saying with Low Atlantis. They didn't just get more and more melodic until they disappeared into the charts. You know, they went sideways. You had a sort of, you know, organ chants and, um, uh, you know, Roll Jordan off the the last album. Mm. That's actually a hymn. It's like a sort of an ancient um, sort of Judaic hymn. I mean, just the inspiration, the stuff that goes into it. It was such exciting. They were clearly so excited to be making music together. And if they're not making music together, then that's just gone. Heartbreaking, really. They went into a really exciting sort of alt-rock almost thrice-esque direction yeah i think yeah. and i found that stuff i like the early stuff but i think the latter stuff is way more interesting dog's blood the dog's blood ep is my favorite thing they've ever done really really yeah yeah um do you agree with what i said there renfrey about i mean i'm probably harsher on a lot of these bands performing than you are but overall really I just think it's a shame that, I mean, I say it over and over again, it's just a shame that bands who who came from that alternative rock um, underground scene and said, we are not like these cash cow, Mm. you know, major corporate bands and now they're behaving just like them. Uh, I I, I find it quite, uh, not upsetting, but I find it quite frustrating. I certainly feel like we've got to a point with Alexis where it would be nice if they would shit or get off the pot now because the two new songs were actually both really promising i thought they still showed growth and new things that alexis hadn't done before while still sounding very alexis on fire so i think that's encouraging um but they're in no rush um i interviewed them for riot act and they i asked them about it and they were just like if it happens it happens but we're just not gonna force anything so. i'd like to see a writer credit i'd like to see who wrote they tended to write just as alexis on fire yeah. um um, and actually, uh, 
it was one of my early trips. I got to go to um, Toronto and um, go to the, the the studio or their re- rehearsal space where they were writing. And it is pretty collaborative. It's not like Dallas just writes a song and brings it in and they all do it. Um, so I'd I'd be really interested to know how those songs are coming together and whether it is just one person's been working on something and they bring it in um, or whether they are, as I say, all in a rehearsal space working up a song. Yeah, I've no mm. idea. I don't mm. know. Well, there you go. Um, uh, interesting. I mean, I, I, I don't really, I don't really feel like I have a dog in this fight, particularly because I'm not offended at Alexa fight. Like, you know, I feel, I, I've said before, I've, I've become offended by System of a Down doing nothing because I think it's an affront to you, you know, the band. Yeah, to, to the what to the band that they used to be. Mm. Whereas, I mean, I kind of and them just kind of rolling out the hits year after year after year. Uh, in, uh, as Stuart Lee says, continually decreasing the quality of their own obituary is um, is not cool. But I don't really feel like I have a dog in the fight with Alex on Fire. So, you know, if people are happy to watch them just do those songs over and over again, then that's cool. But, you know, I think even as a kind of someone who's just watching from the outside, I think they're worth more than just becoming, you know, Vegas nostalgia band, frankly. I agree. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of a band who you can never accuse of uh of being anything other than um totally committed to the cause anvil is your next pick gil i i mean i chose i chose anvil not because i was an an anvil fan or could even sing you a song or anything but it it was more my cynicism around making a movie about someone that was kind of interesting and Mm. and sort of trying to sort of electrify, you know, to get the defibrillator out on someone who's been dead for 40 years. Um, <laughs> you know, yes, you can make their body jerk a bit, but you, they're not going to get up and go, oh, hello, thanks for that. Here's my album. Um, <laughs> so I, I just sort of wondered if you were going to surprise me and go, oh, mate, Anvil, are you kidding? They supported <laughs> Bring Me the Horizon at the O2. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, he was on. Yeah, so I'm a celebrity. Come dance with me <laughs> on the stars on ice. Uh, he's actually um, he's uh, he's going out with <laughs> he's going out with one a little mix now. Old oh, lips from Anvil. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, so in 2008, Anvil, the story of Anvil, like you say, briefly turned Anvil into a big deal. Uh, they headlined the third stage at Download in 2009 while Slipknot were playing that now legendary set. Imagine being one of those people in there who chose to watch Anvil. <laughs> Steve, Steve, imagine being, so you're, um, you know, you're in Anvil and your manager comes to you and says, hey guys, the, the movie's worked. We've been invited to, to the UK to play play and to headline a stage at, at Donington and they were like oh my god that's amazing that's amazing and they look at the bill they unfold the bit of paper and go oh you're kidding <laughs> <laughs> no what Slipknot yeah oh couldn't we have gone up against um Moderat in the in the dubstep tent air yeah <laughs> Now, it might not have turned Anvil into Slipknot, that performance, but they did still play Varken. They played Bloodstock. They um, had a 2010 UK tour with a headline, Isn't It Academy? So around the time, it's sort of weirdly fairly respectable from, from, what, from Anvil after around 40 that year, After a 40-year career, they managed to play to 400 people in London. <laughs> yeah, but it's more than they used to have, you know? I mean, it's well, a lot. Yeah. You've got to think it's a lot more than they used to have. 400% more, in fact. 
I would imagine. I would imagine they were probably doing like the underworld or something like that. Water rats or... on the door, <laughs> working the door the of the water rats. Who <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that? Lex with the clipboard. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, um, Anvil have sort of carried on trucking. Steve Lips Kudjo and drummer Rob Robo Reiner are still in the band. <laughs> Best nickname they- ever. <laughs> yeah, but um, they have had their problem with bassists over the years. Uh, in 2012, the band's third bassist, who had been in the band since 1996, Glenn Goyoffrey, left the band, and he was replaced for two years by a bloke they found in an Iron Maiden tribute band. This is true. But, Gil, here's your question. What was the name of their bass player for this period? Was it A, Franco Blanco, B, <laughs> B Sal Italiano, or C, Luca Carbonara? Jesus. I mean, I'm only going to say it's probably, I'm going to work it backwards. It's probably not Luco Carbonara, although who knows? It probably is a common Italian name. I don't know. Maybe. Like being called Dave Pudding or something. Um, uh, what was this? What were the first two? Franco Blanco and Sal Italiano. Christ. I mean, you don't, you haven't left me much. I mean, based on the other nicknames, I reckon it's Spanko Blanco. What was his name? Franco Blanco. Franco Blanco. Yeah, Francis no. White. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was Sal Italiano. Really? <laughs> yeah. Where's he from? I don't know. But, but he was replaced after two years by their fifth and touch wood uh, final bassist, Chris Robertson, in 2014. Chris Robbo Robertson. Then, Chris Robbo, Chris Chriso, Chriso Robbie, Chris. <laughs> yeah, uh, Anvil have basically released an album every other year, pretty much, and toured it. So, Hope in Hell in 2013, Anvil is Anvil in 2016, Pounding at the Pavement in 2018, and I don't like the sound of this one. Legal at last this year. Oh, um, oh, their last, their last oh. tour saw them play the Underworlds, where oh. metal bands go to die. Yeah, so, I mean, never going to last, was it? You're quite What do you right. mean never going to last? Was... They've released, like, <laughs> ten more albums than Alexis on Fire, who've been a band. <laughs> but, the, I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? You know, people are gagging to hear new music from Alexis on Fire. I can't really think that anyone, even, I mean, even the, <laughs> even the drummer in Anvil doesn't want them yeah to i reckon their manager the their manager would be like oh uh hey mr manager uh we've done a new album on this cd and the guy's like, oh god <laughs> he only did one like 18 months ago i haven't even finished that one <laughs> i mean the thing is there's not a documentary about it to be going this is the one that's going to break us this is the one that's going to put us back on the, which i'm sure is what they're saying i mean it's very difficult to dislike anvil and particularly around the time it was such a brilliant sort of underdog story and such a great film yeah. and i mean it's sort of been usurped now by the bros documentary i feel like it's not even the funniest doc like real life documentary <laughs> about a band anymore like they've even even they haven't even got that anymore so um yeah bless anvil and i, I kind of chose it as well because saxon in about 2006 they were on a was it harvey someone's telly show harvey goldsmith yeah right yeah. and it was harvey goldsmith this sort of you know business guru and he's going to he could launch anything i could you know um uh and so saxon were on there to sort of relaunch their career which basically just meant that he bought them tighter jeans and a bit of a <laughs> and a bit of a skater chain um and and you know got the we all got interviewed for the telly show and what have you and 
and you know, I mean, Saxon are great, and I really like Biff and uh, and the guys. They're lovely, and but it just sort of it was again the defib on a, on a on a corpse. I just didn't really feel like anyone necessarily sort of cared that much. Because- well, Saxon have actually gone on to sort of hold that position and have much more of a presence just in well, that's general. That's because they're literally present. They're just they're in Sheffield. Yeah, I suppose Barnsley so. actually. He's from Barnsley, aren't they? Barnsley, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas Anvil have kind of vanished again. I don't think anyone talks about. Them. I mean, Renfrey, have you have any thoughts on Anvil at all? What in twenty twenty? No, not particularly. <laughs> no, um, I, I I enjoyed the film and it's a lovely kind of um, underdog tale, but I I don't really. It's not one of those films that I watched. And I went, oh, I really must check out Anvil. They sound really good. Um, what was their big hit from back in the day? Metal on metal, metal, on metal. is what I need. <laughs> it's not very good, is it? You know, yeah. Bless them, though. God bless them. Yeah. So, I mean, unsurprisingly, Anvil have just carried on doing the thing that Anvil do. And no one really, most people don't really care. As many people care now as before, only a few more people know. That, yeah, that might be that might be a good way of putting it. Quite a fair way mm. to put it, I think. Yeah, but you mm. know what? A, what a great film! If you've not seen that, the story of Anvil documentary, you should definitely check it out. And I got no, you know, problem with them having that little moment. No, but it's just that it was a little moment. It had to yeah. be. You're right. You can't sustain your career. You can't wait 35 years and then suddenly get a bit of a bump and expect it to. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. Um, but fair play to them. You know, they got. They got big for a bit, I suppose. Um, next up, this is one that I think both me and Renfrey were like, what the fuck? Oh. We butter the bread with butter. The German electro deathcore band were a thing that just totally passed me by. Mm. A bit like Broken Side or I Wrestled a Bear Once. It was just stuff that I thought was tacky, awful, wacky shit. Um, to me and Renfrey now, sitting here in 2020 and having carried on with our foot in the scene i think the idea of those fringes and those big con- cartoon monster t-shirts are doubtless renfrey i would say hilarious and embarrassing in an equal measure but whatever people really did gravitate to that stuff back then gil what possessed you to pick this particular band please explain to me i there was this sort of when you when you listen all day every day you're listening to to metal and you've got to cover it and you've got to talk about it. And there's only so many times you can listen to Wrath by Lamb of God um, before you think, I just want something just interesting. I don't even have to like it. Just something that's interesting. Um, and there are all these bands, I don't know if you can say spazgore anymore, but that kind of stuff that was just like, how can we do something? It's so hard to describe. It was just sort of out there. Let's just be silly. It was really silly. You're going to take something so seriously to learn instruments, form a band, have a logo and a Dayglobe t-shirt printed up. And it's all for the sake of being silly. And there are a couple of them. These guys, they're German, right? I think. Um, Mm -hmm. They're German, yeah. um, Called We Butter the Bread with Butter. And, I just sort of thought, what's the longevity? I'm really, really interested. I wonder if you t- you know, come to me and say, yeah, actually, they were on Rich and Judy's book club last week um, <laughs> doing their 14th album um, and doing an unplugged set um, with Holly Willoughby and Pip Scoff. Um, 
And I, I just, I don't know, you might say, no, mate, it was dead by the time you left in 2012. <laughs> there was no more of that nonsense. Or you might say it formed its own subgenre and, and now they've got their own festival. <laughs> in Bonn. Well, um, I, I mean, staggeringly, <laughs> this, this just this didn't happen at all i saw this band supporting crossfaith who were a kind of japanese electro metalcore band who were massively hyped and they came over and played the underworld and everyone's going it's gonna be the big thing crossfaith oh my god and we buttered the bread with butter supported them and they were fucking atrocious and that would have been uh, early 2013 i reckon i want to say that that happened and then i don't really remember hearing anything about them until well, until you text me their name last week. We're very welcome. Um, Rem- Remfrey, we were both totally nonplussed with what was going on with this band, weren't we? Absolutely. Um, this was the only band that you suggested that we decided to go with in the end that I actually had to had to re-listen to. Or listen to. I don't think I actually bothered back in the day. What a steaming pile of turd. Um, I understand what you're saying regarding you know listening to lamb of god wrath all day you just want to hear something different that kind of stockholm syndrome of just listening to the same thing over and over again so i do understand Mm. why this might have jumped out of the hamisteria when you were there um but fuck me it's not good (laughs) it's really it's an abomination so they're still going yeah unbelievably they are still going i mean i was stunned to learn that this band is still going i mean so fucking rubbish rubbish uh their lead singer paul (laughs) but left the band last year and was replaced by their original singer so the original singer they kicked out who became their drummer then went back into being their singer a bit um they've actually released two songs since 2017 so it's not many admittedly but it's as many as alexis on fire uh and they released a song called (coughs) dre alf um uh, last year i've heard that one uh right yeah and they released a song called Clicks, likes, fame, jail. I've heard that one too. Uh, which sounds good. And they're touring Russia next year, if you want to know what to get me for my birthday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Some time in a Russian gulag. <laughs> yeah. Um, Renfrey, you've got a question about this band? Yes. Gil? So they last released an album in 2015, uh, and it was called, I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce this, but Vida Gil. Um, and it featured a typically wacky song called. A, turd panini. (laughs) B, bong on the autobahn. (laughs) Or C, zombie bitch. Well, can I just say, if if any of those songs don't exist, please can you write them? (laughs) Uh, So what was the... Was it bong with a G on the end or B-O-M-B on the bong? Bong with a G on the end. Do you want me to go over the answers again? Definitely. A, <laughs> turd panini, B, bong on the autobahn, or C, zombie bitch. Okay, well, I, I'm, I'm sort of preempting my sadness that it's probably not turd panini. Um, okay. But I, I don't know. It feels a little bit sort of cosmopolitan for their sort of <laughs> Teutonic nonsense core. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with the, uh, what was the last one again? Zombie bitch. Yeah, I think it's probably zombie bitch. You're absolutely right, my friend. Zombie yes. Bitch. Yeah. I Don't wish tell me. I've, I've still got it, yo. I've still got it. <laughs> I wish it was Bong on the Autobahn. I absolutely love that. I'm tempted to rename this podcast to Bong on the Autobahn. <laughs> <Fantastic>. <laughs> Do 
Yeah, you like that one, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I, really oh, like I was it. spent ages coming up with like hilarious song titles. Um, <laughs> is is Turd Panini a riff off Shit Sandwich from Spinal Tap? No, I I nearly called it um, nap. I was going to call it Nappy Tash at one point, <laughs> oh. I thought, but, um, but I thought that's that's almost too good for them, isn't Wait, it? Wait, keep so that for I the Steggle yeah, reunion. <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyway, I mean, I was sort of interested because because they're together still. I was like, how big are they in the UK? Because I've not heard anything about them. Renfrey's not heard anything about them. Obviously, you haven't heard anything about them, Gil. Um, the last time they played England, it appears to be on the 18th of October in 2013. So only a few months after that time that I saw them. And they headlined the West Coast Bar in Margate. What? Well, big things are going on. <laughs> yeah. So that should tell you something about what happened to all of these bands uh, and, and this scene. It, lo- weirdly- it looks like their last London show was at the borderline, but they appear mm. to be supporting Devil Sold His Soul. Right. So. Yeah. So, I mean, it didn't really happen. Although there is stuff now like 100 Gex that uh, <laughs> is kind of weirdly related to them i think somehow that kind of crunk core scene right yeah that. there's a there's a there's a bunch of like re- weird rap and electronic artists that seem to be slightly inspired by more like by broken side really who were the sort of big ones of that thing actually that's one of the things i did a couple of years ago someone alerted me to uh is it emo rap uh, or like rap metal, Sound yeah, yeah, rappers, yeah. yeah. yeah the sort of mumble rap with sort of rock and metal stuff. I just, I just never felt so old and appalled um, as as hearing that. I, I imagine it's what forty year olds thought when they heard Marilyn Manson or Body Count um, at, <laughs> when at the time. But it's just, ugh. I'd rather have, I'd rather have only We Butter the Bread with Butters back catalogue to listen to on a <laughs> desert island than see any of those bands once. Well, funnily enough, last night, I mean, this is a bit of a name drop for you young people. It won't mean fuck all to either of you two, but I interviewed Ghost Mane last night for Metal Hammer, oh, who's a... Uh, <laughs> you do? No. No. Come on, okay. Steve. So Ghost Mane is, is one of those... He sort of started out, really, as one of those sort of SoundCloud rappers, and he's just released an album, which is actually all right, but it sounds like Marilyn Manson. And his picks were like Dark Throne, Nine Inch Nails, Black Sabbath, Dr. Dre... 3-6 Mafia, The Smiths, Elliot Smith. He picked some really cool music. He picked some really, really good music, actually. He picked, like, Christian Death. It's good. Mm. Um, and while I was chatting to him about music, and I was like, well, you... He's obviously... What are you playing at, mate? you got a good taste. What, what are you playing at? <laughs> he's got a black metal side project as well. Um, Who doesn't? Called... Anyway, exactly. And, uh, but he was good. I mean, I think some of that stuff, some of the better type of that stuff might end up being all right one day because it's just kids fucking around in it but if they start listening to broken yeah i know there's a whole bunch of stuff that i'm like oh this is just broken side but just one person doing it all rubbish but yeah we butter the bread with butter they basically fucked off (laughs) no one cares hooray um so let's move on and never speak about them ever again (laughs) next one we're going to talk about is sebastian back now one of the first one of the last things i should say that you gave me before you left hammer was a solo album by Sebastian Bach called Kicking and Screaming, which came out in 2011. And considering I really have very little love for the sort of glam metal thing, I really loved it. And, you know, I actually listened back to it in the build-up to doing this. And 
I kind of thought, I bet I don't really like it that much on reflection. But it's so mental OTT nonsense that it's really difficult not to like. And it's quite heavy as well. So Sebastian Bach released a pretty good album just before you disappeared. Hence why I'm I'm assuming, is that why you picked him or is there something else to this i picked him sort of with the like the cult the, the personality so i i'm a massive skid row fan like that was my you know um that was my bread and butter um to misuse that phrase then with uh you know from the in the early 90s loved skid row um went to see what was left of skid row in about 2009 um but there weren't many original members so we called them sk- um <laughs> Um, but it was it was pretty good, nonetheless. Um, I then I got to chaperone Sebastian back at the Metal Hammer Awards, and that whole sort of meeting your heroes, which actually in metal is works pretty well because there's a lot of fantastic people um, who are all very you know congenial and nice and inspiring. And Sebastian back was absolutely crushing. What an absolute tool bag! Um, he was just sort of rude and arrogant and demanding, and uh, he's just one of the most talented people in the scene. So we, we need that because for all these lovely, decent people that it's nice to hang out with um, who are you know hugely talented and, and relatively humble, like, say, Trent Reznor, you've got these people who are just, like, so narcissistic, so self-centred, so such a high opinion of themselves, not least because they are very talented. And his albums are great, right, Steve? They're heavy. Mm. He's got pipes. Mm-hmm. It's just... And I just wondered what happened. He was in Jesus Christ Superstar. You know the story about how he was kicked yeah. off Jesus Christ Superstar on Broadway um, mm. because he was getting the crowd to sort of like chant along. And the director said, Jesus wouldn't do that. And Sebak said, if Jesus was me, he would do that. Kind of really implying, I mean, let's face it, I'm Jesus, aren't I? Um, <laughs> so I just, I was just interested whether the power of ego could propel him on and on and on and on. And whether he's reached new heights, we've got the 85th Skid Row reunion or what's going on. Because he must be 60 well, not... now. Probably, yeah. I mean, he's not done much, but he is a big star. And he's always good good for a quote, as you say. Um, here's the question for you. He's recently re- interviewed by a comedian called Big J Okerson on a show called Sex, Drugs and Rock and Roll Show. That's what it's called. Um, big J, uh, the interviewer, hilariously brought up Rob Halford from Judas Priest's pre-show warm-up routine, um, saying his exercise is probably something really gay that he doesn't want to tell you. Like, you got a gargle jizz, but I don't know how to tell you that, Sebastian. So Sebastian Bach's reply to that was one of these three things. Was it A, dude, could you not wreck this interview? Skip those kind of comments. B, bro, I've shot in my mouth a few times. It goes down real easy. Don't knock it till you've tried it. Or C, fuck man, I don't need to think about that shit. I really respect Rob, so I don't want to think about that nasty shit. Wow, that's awesome. Christ. Um, I mean, the first one sounds like me, so not that. Um, uh, the, oh, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the third one. It's the first one. Is it really? Yeah, <clears throat> fucking fair play to Sebastian Bach for shutting that prick down. Yeah, yeah. and that's fair fucking play. And I, I feel like a bit of a dick because when I interviewed the first time I interviewed him, <laughs> you, you remember there's a photo of him um, 
from not like 1989, maybe 90, wearing a T-shirt after Donington or some big gig. And, and the T-shirt mm. said, AIDS kills fags dead. Yep. And there was a photo that went around the press. And of course, it's just appalling. Um, and he's obviously been asked about it constantly. And I unfortunately fell into that trap and asked him um, and, uh, and deflected it. But he's not the most thoughtful, sort of mindful, uh, measured person. But um, absolutely, totally fair play awesome i mean that's that's the thing isn't it is that obviously he now maybe his opinion has hugely changed society has changed yeah this is one of the things that yeah people when that happened people continued to bring up that t-shirt that you're talking about from donnington and maybe just maybe he doesn't feel like that anymore and he probably feels quite ashamed about it and that might be um something that people should possibly take into consideration when they're hammering somebody for something they did when they were a kid 35 years ago or whatever i don't know i'm not here to tell you how to you know morally judge people no that's but... me um so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, yeah. but what i would say is what's happened since i've left hammer is this sort of whole sort of cancel culture and digging back into people's pasts to find things that were i don't know risque or okay at the time that are now not i mean i don't think anyone thought that it was okay at the time but it's no it's, and bear in mind setback was very young um, like when um, uh, Skid Row Skid Row came out, I think he was like 18, 17, 19 years old. So he was still a kiddie, really. Um, uh, and it's the kind of thing that you think it's hilarious. You know it's, you know it's appalling, and that's why you do it. I think of lots of the stuff that I've said um, and think I'm just I – I wouldn't want to have that owned and, and written down somewhere now, the stuff that you do as a throwaway comment. Um you're uh, testing again. the boundaries. You're testing the boundaries at that age, aren't you? you know, yeah. You're trying to, you know, you're just trying to like figure out, figure stuff out. You know. Yeah. And you just want to be shocking, and you just, yeah. I say you just don't think necessarily about it anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah fair play. There you go. Mm. Um, he's not exactly been massively in the public eye since either Sebastian back. He did release another album in 2014 called Give Him Hell. He has gone out to play Skid Row's debut album in its entirety on its 30th anniversary last year. Um, Any Norwich dates? I don't know, mate. I don't know. I mean, they've gone now, haven't they? So, um, by the DVD, but 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 not as yeah, yeah, live. Sebastian back live in Norwich. That'd be brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be be gutted. Oh no, he's done the Ipswich. He's released the Ipswich show. (laughs) Gutted. Sebastian back live from Colchester Town Hall. So close, but yeah, so far. He's also been on two episodes of an episode of the David Duchovny show, Californication. He was in the Gilmore Girls and he's been on four episodes of the Trailer Park Boys as well. What I find odd about all this and why I thought it was a good one for you to bring up as well is that Skid Row are currently touring as a band. They still haven't released any new music since 2006. They've been fronted by the former Dragon Force singer, uh, Zippy The Art, since 2016. And they played right down the bottom of the Download Festival second stage bill last year. Now, you've got to think that a reunion with Sebastian Bach would put them in a prominent position on the main stage. And yet, that one last payday, just for that one last payday, and yet... Nobody seems to want to do that, which I find quite odd, personally. It's all the other reunions that you've mentioned, and, and even when I was at Hammer, you know, we, we it was a, it was a joke that we would say, "Oh, um, Van Halen will never reform." I think it was a whole sort of like, "Oh, someone's reformed." Oh well, you know, Faith No More was another one. We were like, "Oh, Faith No More, really? It's never going to happen. Never going to happen." And it just does everything. Motley Crue, everything that we predicted that people hated each other too much. I, I interviewed Wes Borland when he did uh, that Blacklight Burns album. Yeah. Um, and I spoke to him and said, you know, would you ever reform Biscuit? And he went, it's just, 
you know, I, I just don't like the music. It's not about the money. There, are, He said, there's not enough zeros you could put on a check to make me do that. Get on that stage and play that music with those people. Boom, 18 months later. Oh, oh I'm sorry, you have, yes, that's the right number of zeros. And they were back together, did an album, played, and it was fantastic. So I just, you, you can only speak for the minute you're in, right? And so Sebastian Bach might yeah. swear off it, but... Maybe the uh, 30th anniversary of Slave to the Grind, Norwich dates. Yeah. <laughs> wow, when you dangle that carrot in front of them, I can't see how they can say no, really. Uh, Renfrey, any thoughts at all? I mean, this is not a bit of you, really, is it? Well, I've had the dubious honour of seeing Sebastian Bach uh, at least twice, because um, for, some, for some time he was um, support for Axel and Friends. Uh, he came yeah. out on the 2006 run. And he came out on the 2010 run, I want to say. So I saw him at both those times. And not only did I see him for, you know, his half an hour allotted set, both times he played about an hour and a half like a fucking trooper because obviously Axel was late. This is when Axel was still being late to gigs. Um, and I mean, I would have rather had him than not... Uh, I'd, you know, I actually quite, you know, he's a showman and, um, yeah, he's fantastic. You know, like he is a very charismatic performer and I, and I did enjoy it whilst it was in front of me. I, I didn't, I didn't have any desire to go back to it particularly, but I was certainly glad he was there. Otherwise it would have been about two and a half hours of silence whilst we were waiting for Axel to get some oxygen or something crazy like that. But yeah. Setback's not acting. Everything he does and, and, and presents himself on stage that's totally him. We all know lots that. of people who, um, you know, Liam Cormier from Cancer Bats, right, who's about one of the most down-to-earth, lovely guys. You get mm. on stage and there's this kind of like, you know, skulking, stomping, shouting, circle pit inciting um, gobshite. Uh, but uh, so there's the two characters, right? You know, um, Jim Morrison's a classic, the sort of shy person who goes nuts, Pete Townsend. Uh, but Sebastian Bat is, is, is like that offstage and onstage. There's no differentiation. Yeah. He's not. He's not just acting like he thinks he's God up there. He knows he's God up there. <laughs> yeah, Pete Townsend's a weird one. On stage, he's a bloke who's releasing a book, uh, but in real life, he, he, he's not, is he? Um, anyway, <laughs> we'll come back oh, to that dear. a little bit. Non-sector. We'll come back to. Do you know that? You, you know, you know about Pete Townsend's book. No, that he was writing into you know, the police radio, found pictures of anyone. Anyway, we're probably. Oh, right. I didn't realise. Yeah, we talk about it. I'll tell you after because if we talk about it, it's we all probably gone. We a little bit there. too okay. much. <laughs> probably a little bit too much. Paedophilia uh, yeah. for one show. Um, Motley Crew are the next band that we're going to talk about. Gil, that's Sebastian Bach, by the way. Yeah, fair play to him. Now, you asked me to go and see Def Leppard, Motley Crew, and Steel Panther. Just before you left Hammer, a mere kind of two months before you left Hammer, you asked me on the day that I bought Bonjour, my cat. Oh. And I said, no, I'd rather go home and see my cat, which stunned you. Nine years later, I am convinced that I made the correct choice. Motley Crue are a band that Renfrey and I fucking despise, as we have spoken about quite a lot on this podcast. And I know you like them, so... Give us the... No, no, defend yourself first. No, I, I'm sorry. Why do you hate Motley Crue? What, what aspects of Motley Crue are so abhorrent to you both? I think they are musically so incredibly bog standard. The songs they are don't, rubbish. Their product, the production of that music is terrible. They're not good musicians. Vince Neil's not a good singer. No one in the band is competent at all. Their music is 
paper thin sounding lyrically it's nonsense it's all of the most boring the worst most boring most laborious most dated um references and themes that i think it's it's everything that grunge had to happen for in the same way as they talk about punk had to happen because look at that bloke with five keyboards doing a 75 minute long solo with a cape on pretending to be a wizard and calling it like you know about Loch Ness Motley Crue in lacy ribbons talking about how much blow they've done off 50 different strippers bums in 1990 says nothing to me about my life at all I don't get it I don't understand it I don't it doesn't resonate with me I think it's flash bollocks so room for maneuver then <laughs> six out of ten you, <laughs> um, i would just back all of that i'll just be rabbiting it if uh if i go in uh, in detail but yes i would agree with everything steve said there to be honest okay i'm leaving now case of the case of the defense on motley crew well I, I put motley crew in because um i think their music is fantastic i think they're all exceptionally talented i think um um I don't know. It's um, they are they are fantastic. They're a fun band, right? So in terms of the characters and the music and the look, they're a really fun band. Um, I think a lot of the music actually is is fine. I think a lot of it's better than Bog Standard. I think they've got you know Doctor Feelgood. Come on, if Doctor Feelgood came on at a wedding, and that was one of their latest, some of their latest stuff. Girls, 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 walk on the wild side, kickstart my heart. Um, Shout the devil, too young to fall in love. I mean, there's there's some real like um, rock anthems in there. Uh, I'd say mid- I'd put any anything off of any Van Halen album is better than everything you've just mentioned. I would, I would. Yeah, I didn't say they were the best band in the no. world. No, no, no. I'm just saying that like if it's <laughs> yeah. if it comes on, yeah, if it comes at a wedding, if Kickstart My Heart came on at a wedding, I wouldn't be like fuck you, get divorced. Do you know what I mean? But at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not going to be like hooray either. I don't okay, think. I'd be I, like, you could have put fucking jump on you, idiot. I think also, I'm. It's that slightly nostalgia for the time that I wasn't there. It was just before I was really able to sort of, well, quite a lot before I was really able to be into music. I wasn't really that aware of Motley Crue at the time because they'd sort of had their time by 1990, 89ish, really. Um, but um, was interested again that they proved we just, you know, if you read the dirt. Um, you realise how dysfunctional they are individually, but as a group. Again, I think the talent really was one person. Um, Nikki Six really wrote all the songs, wrote most of the lyrics. Um, and uh, they they came back. We, you know, they they didn't want to they didn't really like each other. The rumors were that they all had basically separate rooms, these separate tents, these holding tents on the side of the stage that they would all be in. So they literally didn't have to talk to each other. They just arrived on stage, played their songs and left. But actually what happened is they kind of started to get on again and started to like each other. And, and again, it's that whole, I've always said this about work. It's really easy to like someone who's good at their job. If you're a bit of a dick, if you're a bit abrasive, but you're good at your job, I think we're going to rub along fine. And I wonder if that's what happened. So I just, you know, they were on that, they played Wembley, um, they played Wembley and there were the heroes. They were still on the up. You know, the Heroin Diaries had come out and 6am was a sort of a side project. I just wonder what's happened in the last eight years. Is Did someone turn off a light switch or are they now, yeah, on Dancing well, with the Stars? I actually interviewed uh, Nikki Six um, in 2014 because Motley Crue announced they were signing a, a real legally binding legal 
document airtight looked at by lawyers to say that they are splitting at the end of 2015 oh. in 2015 they're going to split up and i interviewed nikki six and i asked him well, I, be- I begged him really to tell me that it was 100 percent actual proper <laughs> contract and not some kind of stupid stunt and he promised me that it that it was and what followed was one last lengthy world tour um one last new song the predictably awful all good things and a final show on new year's eve 2015 at the staples center in la and i thought well there you go that's it that's motley crew they're done that's the thing that's happened um in that time the dirt the movie came out a rubbish film um about a rubbish band and <laughs> does it say like that on the poster <laughs> it should do yeah it is dreadful. Uh, uh, it's, awful, it's really bad have you seen the dirt the film are you even aware of on netflix yeah I, do you know what? we started to watch it and it was so gratuitous that yeah me and my my other half just went now let's watch a nature documentary <laughs> did you get <laughs> let's watch something did you awesome. get to the did you get to the, the the guy playing aussie no i'm not joking we got four minutes in that party scene at the beginning right when the girl squirts across the room we were like and i'm out yeah. yeah there's a guy turns up and he's like hello i'm ozzy osborne oh how are you buddy and they're like oh well man it's ozzy it's like well, that's the worst ozzy <laughs> i've ever he's like hey man it's me ozzy osborne man why are I, you you you've changed dialect after every sentence it's fucking awful um but it it's it was a massive massive hit and you know so motley crew um never being ones to have any kind of shred of dignity or principles at all motley crew decided to reform in 2019 but renfrey the question for gil yes how did motley crew get out of the contract did they release a video of themselves a eating the contract b blowing up the contract or c Shooting the contract in a rocket into space. <laughs> is there like a D? There was no contract. <laughs> there isn't. No, it's it is sh- one of okay, those. So, I mean, so rocket bomb eat. Yeah. 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 Um, I feel like Mick Mars could do with a, a good dinner. Um, and a contract <laughs> would be a nice entree. Um <laughs> Uh, it's I, I more get... protein than any of them had in their bodies in fucking ages, did, that would be. Did, did they blow it up? They did blow it up, indeed. They blew up the contract, mm. like the they... naughty scamps that they are. Yeah. Pathetic. Is that legally Which binding? I... If... Well, the thing is, is, yeah, exactly. If it was legally binding, you can't just blow it up and go, well, it doesn't exist anymore. I presume they've made a copy of that contract somewhere. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Do you it's... need a contract so to it... break up? Don't you just not do anything no, well, this else was the thing well this was the thing they were saying look so many bands say we're breaking up and then a few years later they get back together so we are telling you we have signed a contract which means it will be illegal and we will go to jail and we will be sued and we'll be fined and we will we are not allowed to play music together and we have so- signed this contract so you know you know that when you come and see us on Motley Crue The End Tour in 2015, you know 100% categorically you will never get the chance to see us ever again. Four years later, they've reformed. And that sums Motley Crue up to me. What, re- re- welching on a deal? 
I, I mean, yeah. I quite like just, the albums, but I just suspect that they'd renegotiate the terms of our relationship. So I'm, I'm out. <laughs> I'll stick with Axel where I know where I am. Yeah. I mean, they were meant to tour with Kiss and Def Leppard in 2020. Um, so, you know, finally, 2020, the COVID virus giving us some good news. That didn't actually happen, that tour. But <laughs> yeah, I just, I just think it's, like, it's so lame. That, that, whole, that whole thing is just, was just so fucking lame. It's the lamest reformation. And at the time I went, oh, fair play. Like, you know, you've signed this thing. And if it is, if that is true and it's not just some stunt to sell tickets, then that's pretty funny. <laughs> but it was just, obviously was just some stunt to sell tickets. Christ. Yeah, I think we probably all got bands like this where you know that they're not, a bit like Seb Back and Skid Row, right? You know, I, I don't think he's an awesome human being or a lovely person. You wouldn't get him to look after your cat. Um, but you just want to be able to enjoy the music in isolation of their characters and the stuff they've done. For a lot of people, the, reading the dirt improved the albums. It made the kind, it made it kind of you know real what was what was going on behind the scenes. Um, and I can see that. But yeah, and this is it. This is why clocking out just means you don't have to. You don't have to listen to all the stuff that's that's happened since. You do a Hendrix, yeah. Hendrix would have become, you know, some horrible old perv that we'd all be embarrassed about and never be able to watch with Nell and I again. Um, and, you know, that's tragic on two counts. So I'm not saying thank God he died, but yeah, every, like every cloud. Like yeah. exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's don't, don't exactly mishear me. Uh, I... um, yeah, Renfrey, anything to add on Motley Crue? I feel like we've always going on aren't we not really we do talk about yeah we've talked about them quite a lot on this show so i think we Mm. could probably move on yeah so um bleeding through uh or martyr from bleeding through specifically as you 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 said uh, on your text to me gil which we'll get into in a bit uh the orange county metalcore band one of the few artists who actually had something a little unique to that scene i think come the sort of second half of the noughties by the time you left hammer metalcore was in a right old state. It was about to get a big kick up the arse from bands like Parkway Drive, While She Sleeps, Code Orange, Employed to Serve. Bleeding Through, though, I think was sort of slightly muted around that time. There was a big sort of lift for Bleeding Through around the middle, the mid part of the noughties. And then it sort of dropped a little bit. Um, What were your thoughts on Bleeding Through? And why did you pick this band in the first place, Gil? I started a hammer in 2005, bleeding through, and that it was it was called like the New England wave of hardcore, or sorry, yeah, the new wave yeah. of New England hardcore, or something like that. Um, and I was, you know, relatively new to all that, and it was the start of metalcore, I guess. 36 Crazy Fist, Killswitch Engage, um, Chimera, um, all that sort of stuff, and bleeding through with this kind of kooky band because they had, and I'm not going to, you know dribble on like I did last time but had a lady in the band um and not only that but playing keyboards yeah so keyboards in a hardcore band ah mind blown um but actually I just I never really I never found them particularly interesting and what happened is the whole sort of New England thing just just evaporated and it was almost like the stick in Men in Black where we just all forgot no one mentioned it again you know and endlessly people went on about um uh, uh, new new metal, but no one was sort of saying in 2009. Oh, whatever happened to the new wave of New England hardcore? Um, it just sort of morphed so so quickly. Um, I'm and I'm just sort of wondering if these also ran bands from the time. Um, you know what they're up to? Are they managing to sort of get by by playing 
upstairs at the garage? So, well, I mean, I think me and Renfrew will have slightly differing opinions on this. Oh, fight, fight, slightly, fight. slightly differing because a band like Darkest Hour. Yeah, right. Who I really fucking love and probably released, I would say, maybe their best album in 2017. Really, really great record. I saw them with Unearth and Misery. Sequence. Unearth, that was the other band, Last yeah. Last year. Yeah, like, I mean, shit like there's a few. Shadows Fall, God forbid. I never thought they were very good, any of those bands personally. But there were a few that I liked and they kind of, they came in the aftermath. The first lot that came in the aftermath of Kill Switch Engage and when I, you know, the, the hardcore and the metalcore bands that I like, the Poison the Wells and the, the I guess the earlier Converges and Cave-Ins and Dead Guy and Drowning Man and Botch and all that shit that I loved, that I absolutely loved when I was a kid. You know, I didn't, it meant that I was really cynical about 18 Visions or whatever. And I think I've spoken about all of that before. So I didn't really have much love for those bands particularly, but I quite like Bleeding Through purely for the fact of exactly what you were saying was that, the introduction of these sort of black metal gothic tones and keyboards and stuff I thought was really, really cool. And it was cool for a bit. And then it felt like maybe they had done something cool, but didn't really know how to maneuver past just having an extra added element that made them stand out a bit. So they released an album called the great fire in 2012. Didn't really get much attention at all, really. And they split up in early 2014 um, Renfrey, any like want to say anything about how you felt about bleeding through around this time? Well, I think I like bleeding through because of the same reasons that I like AFI. Um, I'm not really a big like pop punk fan particularly, but when you get pop punk and then add that gothic element to it, that's something that excites me and I find quite interesting and unique. Um, I'm not a big metalcore fan at all, um, but when you add that kind of gothic edge to it and those keyboards and that black metal sort of uh, timber to it, it suddenly makes it far more interesting to me. So I do actually, you know, might be a bit of a surprise to people, but I do actually quite like Bleeding Through. Um, I never got the chance to see them live. um, And I was quite surprised when they broke up because I thought they were teetering along quite nicely. Um, Just one of those bands who, you know, whether you like them or not, they just sort of continue being able to just making a living from it and it you know just ticking out everything just seemed to be ticking over but but sort of hearing that they that wasn't the case at all was a little bit of a surprise to me i guess it probably shouldn't have been because i think they did underworld mm. or something like that for the last show yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> are you um, there were, you weren't in... you there were you at that show no no i didn't i didn't no. go to that no i mean like i say i i kind of i when they when it came out that they split up, I kind of assumed they had already split up, to be honest, mm. because you yeah. never heard anything yeah. about them. Uh, you were interested in, as you say, Marta Peterson, who helped give them that oh-so-identifiable sound. She's actually gone on and married a very prominent metal musician, Gil. But who is it that she married? Is it A, Joey Belladonna from Anthrax? Is it B, <laughs> Herman Lee from Dragon Force? Or is it C, Phil Demmel from Machine Head? I mean... I don't know if you could have made that any easier for me. And that's <laughs> that's slightly me being slightly insulting to the Mortis. first two. I nearly I nearly put Mortis in there. You should honest. have put Mortis in there, yeah. Uh Rob Halford, um Axel Rose. Uh, I just th- that you could have had fun you could have had like an eleven person list rolled through. Um well I guess she she must have married Phil Demmel then. 
She did. She did. Yeah, she's married to Phil Demmel. Yeah. I just, I think for the sake of this, I'd like to see people Photoshop photographs of Herman Lee into <laughs> wedding gear with Marta Peterson. Um, who was the first person on the list? Who did you say? Joey Belladonna. Joey Belladonna, right? I mean... Who looks like a nan. Yes. He looks like someone's nan. He's, uh, he's, yeah, a re- he's, he's never going to be him. He's got the... Joey Belladonna, I interviewed him at one... Uh, uh, what was the Nebworth thing called? Sonosphere. 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 Yeah, um, and uh, it was like he, he wasn't sure what was going on. We were sitting on one of the sofas in the media room and he had the kind of demeanour of like a 13-year-old boy who's just been caught smoking, who's been put somewhere. And I'm talking to him saying, so, um, you know, worship music, the new album's absolutely fantastic. And he's looking at me like, what are you doing? What's that thing in your hand? What do you mean? What do you mean? I just, he seemed so confused by the whole thing for the whole 25 minutes that I spoke to him, just kind of vaguely hostile. Um, oh, that brilliant! That brilliant Pantera song, vaguely hostile. Vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Bleeding Through actually reformed in 2018. So, again, just the four-year gap for them. Everybody reformed. All these people, even when we said they split up. I mean, learn they're like this. Anyone's ever stayed split up? Um, uh, they released a very good album, Love Will Kill All, in 2018. They still play the Underworld. No one really went too mad for that album, really, did they, Renfrey? No. To be honest. But still, I guess it's quite nice to have Bleeding Through still around, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't go crazy on that new album, but it's nice to see that they're touring again. And uh, yeah, hopefully I can get a chance to actually see them this time. So can I ask then, yeah, all like those other bands that you mentioned, because you, you gave the better list of the New England lot, like Shadows Fall and Unearth and so on, are they all still yeah. going as well as part of that kind of scene is that are all those guys still playing the underworld they, yeah basically i mean i saw unearth that year that was in 2014 i saw unearth and they played the underworld and they played in front of about 30 people there's nobody there it was empty um they also headlined with darkest hour and misery signals last year uh and most people left when unearth came on they shouldn't really have been headlining i also saw unearth headline a festival in slovenia as the fucking headline band and Behemoth were headlining one night. It was and there was about twenty thousand people there. I think like I think like Dream Theater headlined one of the nights. Dream Theater obviously a fucking big deal, but Unearth were on before. Were on after like Arch Enemy and I've forgotten who else it was. Devon Townsend I think might have been below Unearth at one point. It was it was really weird. And that was in two thousand and fifteen. So yeah, I think they a lot of those metalcore bands have big followings in germany and in europe i was like and sorry i always like seeing those international bills where the sort of the natural order of what you think you know who deserves to go above who is completely out of kilter remember we went to do a trip in uh, in tokyo with diron gray um the metal band over there there's a big festival over there and there was i remember seeing this poster on the wall in the office and um there must have been there must have been like 30 bands three stages on this giant japanese thing and there were a bunch of sort of bands like halloween and stradivarius and stuff and then a bunch of bands of the japanese bands i didn't know and then headlining was orange goblin wow <laughs> i mean wow. they are the li- they're literally my definition of big in japan yeah wow that's mental fucking hell Good for them. Good. Yeah. yeah. Good. Maybe I'll go to bloody Japan then. Good. Um, yeah, bleeding through. I think, you know, the the kind of the the mid tens metalcore renaissance 
which happened when it branched out into more stuff, basically. I mean, I'm broadly saying Code Orange. I'm broadly saying Employed to Serve. While she sleeps, um, part, part where Jive releasing Aya, part where Jive changed their sound, I, I think for the better. I mean, they took a lot of kind of Rage Against the Machine-isms and, and then reverence to the album after that. Took a lot of kind of black album stuff and bits of like Nick Cave and more atmospheric bits and cello and everything and it was like good i'm glad that those bands who just for a long time it just looked like they were going we'll do what kill switch engage do in varying degrees like a lot of the bands from that scene or, or that scene a bit it did it did get a little bit of a bump i think kill switch you look at um sorry not kill switch you look at parkway now as the band who everyone thinks will possibly become a festival headliner and you think, well, yeah, that makes sense, really, because they're the ones who have taken the most risks and have done the most to 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 sort of evolve their sound past just doing standard metalcore. And proof's in the pudding, really, isn't it? I mean, you think no one really gives a shit about Unearth as much as I think they're a good band, but people go mad for Parkway because and their show's fucking phenomenal. Like Parkway Drive, do you you were you liked Parkway Drive shows back in the day, didn't you, Gil? I liked shorts. Right, That's okay. Really well, what? they've really, they've very much gone past that. They now have kind Full of length uh, trousers. Tommy Lee style. No, yes, and Tommy Lee style spinning drum kits and fire and live orchestra and all this stuff. It's fucking great. Fucking great. I, I always thought that their their whole thing was following in the footsteps of Bullet for My Valentine, who famously wore shorts. Um, and that that's where that whole sort of shorts thing came from. That was their strategy for fame. No, I mean, I no, I don't think so. Speaking of bullet for my Valentine, we're going to move on to them now. Oh, nice segue there you go. material. Bleeding through. Yeah, and uh, hey, <laughs> you thought I hated Motley Crue? Well, wow, <laughs> here we go. Um, never liked Bullet. They are the butt of the joke on the show, pretty much. When you left Hammer. Bullet for My Valentine had three albums, all of which I thought were fucking crap, but people loved them. They were about to go into arenas, a Wembley Arena show with Asking Alexandria and Young Gun. Young Guns was announced at Download 2013 for that December. Um, Gil, very, very briefly, why Bullet? The Poison was, what, 2005? Um, yeah, something like that. 2004, yeah, yeah. 2005. Absolutely awesome. What a fantastic you know, British metal album. Um, they were, you know, Pretty much, the, they were the real deal. It was just brilliant. So at Brixton that year, they were just they were just great. And so quickly, it just was like uh, like in a movie. You just they stopped taking the drugs. Someone pulled them plug out of the wall or whatever it was. They just changed overnight. They were, Matt Tuck couldn't write a song anymore. Just couldn't write a song. Um, you know the aim fire scream aim fire thing. It just scream, just fire. didn't have a song on it. Um, I'd also like to point out that syntactically, you don't burst into fire, you burst into flames. Uh, that was one of their songs that was called like Burst Into Fire um, or something like that. That I felt like, or you, could, you, just, you know, you're surrounded by journalists. You could have just asked one of the grammar Nazis to uh, give you a hand. But it just, it was tragic. And I almost couldn't make eye contact anymore. It was so awful. And then didn't they have, when did they have, when was the last album sort of pre-2012? It just was like, oh God, don't look at them. It's terrible. They're still in shorts. Uh, it was called Fever. And and uh, and the thing I suppose that struck me was I just sort of felt, when will everyone realise? Because to your point, they were still playing massive shows. 
and it just didn't compute for me. I was like, Rick, can you really trade on just one great album? And maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm wrong, and um, you know, people love it, and I just the moment passed. So I was just really baffled at how somebody who could, who had one good album, could maintain that through three, or you know, a couple of turgid albums afterwards. And, I, and I'm, you know, I want you to sort of tell me, oh yes, they're slow decline, and then by 2016, Moose was working at Londis in Newport again. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you actually have kind of preempted <clears throat> what proved to be quite a disastrous false dawn, um, even before some people, because now people look back at Scream Aim Fire with a lot of fondness, and that may be because the absolutely fucking disastrous temper temper was released at the start of 2013 and by the time that Wembley show came around in in December Bullet were basically a laughing stock I mean Renfrey in terms of a band getting a kicking in the last decade an album synonymous with a band failing terribly temper temper is a disaster isn't it i mean even for someone who doesn't like bullet from valentine at all and i'm sure and i know you don't either but temper temper is staggeringly bad right <laughs> yeah across the board it was completely and utterly torn apart and quite rightly too what an utter mess of an album um it's just got absolutely no conviction behind it whatsoever you've just got to the point now where you kind of go what do you want to do bullet for my valentine i don't think they know I don't think they have a clue what they want to do anymore, um, which I think is played out on the uh, the other two albums they've released since Temper Tempest. One of them is called Gravity, we'll, isn't it? We'll get into them okay. in a second. I'm not letting you move away from Temper Tempest. That's yet. fine. Riot, Riot was a song that came out. Uh, here come the sirens. Here come the law. Whoa. Run from the sirens. Run from the law. Whoa. Riot. That was a song. It was a kind of pop metal style a bit like what Trivium did on um, the Crusades with yeah. We Are The Fire, except probably not even as good as that, and there were 12 of them. Um, it was a fucking disaster, Temper Temper, an absolute disaster. Um, they dropped so low that by the time they went into the studio to record the follow-up record to that album, which uh, was the Terry Date-produced 2015 album Venom, they released a tour, uh, a pre-album tour of smaller venues smaller quote-unquote venues than they would be doing on a usual headline tour so you think only a year before a year and a bit before they're playing Wembley Arena and it's this big thing that they had a big press conference for it download I saw them at the meager confines of the Reading Hexagon which is a maximum capacity of 1,200 people they had to shut the balcony because wow. nobody bought tickets they should have booked the Hope and Anchor <laughs> yeah, they should. They should. Uh, they got. They had while she sleeps supporting them. They got fucking eaten alive. Um, it was really funny. You would have thought while she sleeps would have brought a few people in as well. I think. I think while she sleeps did bring a few people. Yeah, in, to yeah. be perfectly honest. Yeah, it was. It was a fucking disaster. Um, and that was a sort of return to heaviness album. Venom. That was like, you know, when they go, oh, you know, the last album was a was crap. Sorry, everyone. We're gonna do. We're gonna go back to the old school sound, and people just went no. So can I ask? No. Can I ask you though as well? Because there are, as we've sort of touched on with a lot of the bands we talked about today, is 
there are bands who all the new stuff is still rubbish, but people still go because they're great live. I mean, no one's buying a new Thunder album. You know, everyone wants to hear Backstreet Symphony and Higher Ground, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, so is it just they, they, were, they weren't able to continue that the live shows were rubbish as well? Yeah, I thought they were. I mean, they've got a set of... I mean, put it this way. Um, they did another They did another album which went back, which they flip-flopped again. In 2018, they did Gravity, which was back to like pop, a much poppier sound, right? So they released this poppy album, everyone hated it. And they went, oh shit, we're heavy again now. And everyone, no one gave a fuck. So they released a poppy album again and no one really gave a fuck. Um, it kind of says a lot that to get into Brixton Academy... They had to do a tour playing the poison in full. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I think Renfrey's I've never really sort of thought of it in those terms, but Renfrey, I think you've nailed it with they didn't know what they wanted to do or, or be. And you've got to have at least some idea. Even if you just enjoy playing music with your pals, something will happen from that. But I feel like they they just sort of were lucky maybe in the very beginning that that just worked and was the zeitgeist in 2005, sort of the British, um, you know, off, um, was happening. You know, you had Prophets, Funeral, um, um, 100 Reasons, that sort of stuff uh, was happening. But then they just it just dried up. It just, you know, just completely dried up. I think Trivium really paved the way for Bullet as well. I think if Ascendancy hadn't have been the massive success that it was the previous year, I'm not sure if the poison would have hit in the way that it had hit. Um, personally, it feels like it, you know, sort of laid that pathway. Um, I do have to slightly correct you on one thing, though, Steve. Um, that the last mm. London show that they played for Gravity, they did actually play at Alexandra Palace. So, oh right, okay, yeah. I, I think yeah. that Gravity album. I mean, it's fucking dog shit. It sounds like Latter Day Lincoln Park, but I think it did actually do some good because you know they've yeah they've gone up to ali pali again um i don't think it was sold out but they you know they did headline ali pali in november 10th 2018 so they, they may become they may become that generations um and again i don't want to use thunder because they are um they're sort of growing but that they can sustain a, a career by playing um older stuff Again, I don't want to use Alexis as a sort of a parallel, but that's what we're saying, right? Is that you just, you don't, you haven't made anything new for eight years, but everyone wants to see the old stuff and is happy to do that. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. I guess they do have a fairly big fan base who are, yeah. Uh, well, who knows? I, I, I don't know. I'm just looking at the set list from that day. Six songs from Gravity, four from Venom, three from The Poison, two from Fever, two from Scream, Aim, Fire. I mean,. You know, there's at least half of that set is nothing from Temper Temper. Nothing from Temper Temper. No, oh, I am surprised. Surprise. Surprise. Um, shall we do this bullet question? Yeah, why not? But if my Valentine basically gave up trying to pretend they had any level of credibility at all when they covered which pop pop song was it? A Gangnam Style by Psy. B, Firework by Katy Perry, or C, Radioactive by Imagine Dragons? Wow. Well, I don't know the last one, but um, uh, do I know? Do I know that they did Fireworks? I feel like I can't believe they did Gangnam Style. That's just, I mean, the layers of meta and irony is way beyond uh, the understanding of Padge. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, That's really mean. I just wanted to say the word Padge. He's a nice guy. Um, uh, it must be Katy Perry. 
It's C, radioactive. How does that go? What's that? Do I know it? Go on, Steve. Radioactive, radioactive. I I don't know the words, but yeah, bad. Bad, bad, bad song. Perfect rendition. Why do you think they did it? Oh, 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 radioactive. You know that one? (laughs) Rubbish. Why why do you think they did it? Because they're fucking sellout losers. Basically, it's what I think. Uh, yeah, because they're just they're just rubbish, and that song was really big. And they are cynically minded scumbags who will do anything to increase their popularity. I'm fascinated to see what comes next. I mean, I really am. I wonder if they go, "Hey guys, let's you know put the shorts back on and do like a sort of a skiffle album," um, <laughs> or Matt Tuck will do a SoundCloud rap project. I'm sure. Maybe. Or maybe he'll do some sort of motorbike renovation YouTube vlog. You know he's into his Steve. motorbikes. You know the story he bought Steve. that? Go on, Brentford. Well, Steve wanted to invite him on the show just so that we could insult him. And I said, I don't think we can do that, Steve. Well, not if you... He... wanted to... We could have invited him. We could have, we could have invited him. <laughs> we could have, but I just don't think we would have had a very good reputation with that PR if we'd done that. But it would have been funny. No. It would have been funny. Ask the PR first, I mean, I... you know, I think. Just sound them out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, got this great idea. Got yeah. this great idea. Um, Matt Tuck, your band, uh, obviously terrible, <laughs> wondered if they wanted to come on the show and we're just going to insult them for two I mean... hours. What do you think? obviously we plugged the album but (laughs) that was the email that i didn't want to write and that's why i didn't write it i mean it was more than that actually if we're being serious i did think it would be interesting you know interesting to talk to people whose music you don't think is very good Mm. that's that was that but anyway but if i valentine yeah um i mean I don't really feel like they... I mean, certainly the idea of them headlining Download, because then it was like, oh, yeah, they're going to get to festival headlining status. I think, you know, that's that's long gone, that, and it? That's not going to happen. Definitely no. not. Definitely not. No, they fucked it. Um, you haven't heard the Skiffle album yet. <laughs> no, that's true. When that shit hits. <laughs> uh, down. Let's move on to Down. The Stoner Supergroup were on a high, lol, <laughs> after the release of Down 3, A Bustle in Your Hedgerow. A great record. Able to play venues the size of the Roundhouse in London. As we said, nearly 3,500 people. It was... Um, do you mean, everything do you mean us- Down 3 over and under? Because you said A Bustle in Your Hedgerow, oh, bus- Down 2. S- yeah, that's down too, isn't it? Sorry, yes, I did mean that. Yes, cool. I apologise. Okay. Um, uh, it was something that us 90s metal kids could only have dreamed about getting a seat down. What a fucking wonderful time it was for, for that period. Kirk left the band in 2013, but no matter, they still released the very decent Down 4 over the course of two separate EPs in 2012 and 2014. Not really as good as anything they put out before previously, I don't think, but still pretty decent. But overall, we were delighted to have Down Back around the time that you were still at Hammer, weren't we, Gil? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Um, i be honest with you. I, I don't know if you, either of you get this, where if something's really special to someone else and you quite like it, you're like, I'm just not going to entertain it because I'm never going to be able to achieve the love of that thing or enjoy it as much as you do. And they were, and the sort of the iconoclasm that I can tend towards is like well you all love it and think it's brilliant and Pantera didn't mean to me what it meant to you so I'm just going to sort of ignore it and it's just so I never really got into down at all at Hammer and I literally in my Hoover hour I played uh, Nola and then the other couple I'm like this is awesome I mean they just so clearly would like to be actually Black Sabbath Um, uh, but it's just awesome and again 
It's funny that I, at this old age, have become so obsessed with authenticity. I kind of liked artifice back in the days and like, you know, the, the cynicism of just pretending to be something and getting away with it. But now it's like, I just love that. Yeah, the authenticity of knowing that when, um, uh, oh, help me out, what's his name? Front man. Phil Anselmo, thank Phil you. Yeah. Phil when Phil's, you know, delivering those lyrics, you just know that they're just coming from his, just the depths of his guts and his soul. Um, and I'm loving it. I absolutely love Dan and play it quite a lot now, but I have no idea because uh, I interviewed them at, uh, one uh, download one year, uh, Jimmy Dore and the other skinny guy who looks like dead Tom Petty. Um, and, and I thought, <laughs> these guys aren't long for this world. Um, and But they you know, hilarious. I just, I'm really fascinated to know, have they done anything awesome? Are, are they together? F- you know, Phil Anselmo's not a pleasant person to be around, it seems to me, from anyone who's <laughs> ever met him. Um, but just, I don't care because the albums are so good and so real and raw and Black Sabbath. Mm. Mm. You like Down as well, don't you, Renfrew? I fucking love Down, yeah. Um, mm. you were talking yeah, about, very good band. Talking about those first times that we got the opportunity to see them. It was actually sort of maybe five years after Down 2 came out or maybe four years that they came to the Astoria. I don't know if you were at either of those shows. I didn't go to that, no. Oh my God. It was just, it was so amazing to see that band live because I'd absolutely caned a bustle in your hedgerow and nola um absolutely loved those records i think three was a brilliant follow-up as well um i have said in the past um that i prefer down to pantera which is insane i think that's a bit of a i think that's a bit ott to say but what i will say is i probably listen to down more than i listen to pantera these days so Mm. yeah well everything was going swimmingly for down They'd release those EPs, which, you know, people liked. I wouldn't say they were, like say, they're not as good as the first three records. Yeah. But, you know, they headlined the main stage at Bloodstock in 2015. So, you know, for a band like that to headline a festival in the UK, obviously not the biggest festival, but certainly makes a lot of sense. Um, everything felt like it was going really good. They were booked in for a load of uh, festival dates in 2016. But their entire career, basically, Gil, has been curtailed after an incident at the Dimebash concert held as a tribute to Dimebag Daryl in December 2015. Now, I have to ask you this as the question. What did Phil Anselmo do at Dimebash that was so offensive he went. that Down were kicked, off of, <laughs> were kicked off of festival bills across the world and have never really been able to recover from? Uh, did he, A, throw a Nazi salute uh, on stage... Did he B, point a fake gun and pretend to shoot at Vinnie Paul? Or did he C, grope a girl in the front row? Oh, God. I feel like my testicles have just gone back up into my body at hearing those options. It's just more. <laughs> oh. um, none of them are good, are they? None of them are good. <laughs> no, I, None of them I are mean, good. The, the fact that I've invented two of them and you haven't straight away gone, well, there's two there that he definitely wouldn't have done. Probably says a lot about how you feel about Phil Anselmo, to be perfectly honest. But um, yes. Groped Herman Lee. Uh, <laughs> Groped Herman no, Lee. I, oh, what the fuck? I think the gun thing. I think the Nazi salute thing, even, even uh, Phil Anselmo must think, maybe not do that these days. Keep that to you. That's an indoor, indoor behaviour. But the, he might have... I don't know. Oh, God, that's really hard. Okay. I mean, the gun thing is too organised. The other guy would have said, oh, we sure, Phil, Philip. Um, do you reckon? I don't know. First one. 
The Nazi salute? Yeah. No. Oh, I don't know. Yes. Was it that? Was it? He he did a pretty fucking. I think he shouted white. No, power. he didn't. No one says that. Come on. Yeah. What? Yeah, he did. Yeah. At the end, when everyone came on towards the end, and he threw a bunch of Nazi salutes on stage, and it's basically he never and he never he's never really apologized, and which is so unlike him. Followed him. <laughs> Yeah, and it's basically followed him around since. There was a very half-hearted apology. Jesus Christ. But what was the context in which he did it? Did someone say Black Lives Matter or something and he went at that? Or did he just, oh, just quickly, just just quick, white power? (laughs) No, I mean, so he's made a few pretty ridiculous excuses. Like he said he was drinking white wine backstage. (laughs) Well, the power of Chardonnay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Avoid I hate red wine white power yeah I mean <laughs> yeah which doesn't make it just doesn't make any sense doesn't even make sense as an excuse and well he's trying to say isn't it that it's the white wine that's fueling them and it's white power but it's so fucking shaky like it's just and also it's Phil Anselmo right it's not like yeah. it's not like Liam Cormier accidentally misspoke and you're like oh he's a lovely guy I'm sure you know I can sort of yeah. read the the context of who the person is tells you a certain amount because Anselmo's got a bit of a rep for that. Yes, he does. Yeah. Mm. Christ. And it, I mean, just career stupid. Sorry, go on, Steve, go on. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it's fucking, it's, people have a right to be hugely offended by that and people have been hugely, it is really, really offensive. And it was stupid and I guess none of us will really know, ever really know, what the fuck was going on in Phil Anselmo's head when he did or said that. But it is kind of hard to have too much sympathy for him. I have to be perfectly honest, but he has done nothing since then. Do you really think he'll, do you think get back I, on the drugs? Do you think, I mean, this is, I mean, in some ways terrible, you know, the spy of these spirals again. I mean, I think, mm. I, I think he was, I think he was really drunk when he did it. I'm not saying that as an excuse. I think he was like really pissed, but you know, I don't think. Don't know. Do you reckon he's playing down his local pub now? Like just like with him and an electric <laughs> well, well, guitar and a little jam amp, like a busker, and he'll just go. And- he has. Well, he has done a couple of albums with his sort of solo project, which is called Philip H. Anselmo, Anselmo and the Illegals, I believe. Is that correct, Steve? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. He's done a couple of records with them, and you know he still gets into Hammer from time to time, and media does still not, not really not in not in the same way that he used to but they have done bits and pieces on him i mean a few clan the, rallies um, <laughs> well the facebook page usually goes off people get really really irate when they do give him any coverage whether it's news or features or whatever he was announced um, for bloodstock to play bloodstock 2021 and he's yeah. doing a set this should tell you uh, again where his head is is that he's doing a set of pantera covers so he's going on the road playing Pantera covers. And I'd say the other thing about it is, which is something that people don't really mention that much about it, that, that's also kind of sad to see about Phil Anselmo, is he is now kind of just a tragic-looking, washed-up, drunk character. And, you know, I happened upon... Somebody put a, a, a video up on YouTube of him doing his set, because he opened for Slayer on Slayer's last tour, playing Pantera songs. He's the opening band. So you're like the first band on. I think it was them and Primus and Behemoth and Anthrax. And like and so, so he's on at like, you know, quarter to six as the doors are just open in these massive arenas for Slayer, playing these absolutely legendary metal songs. And he's just 
fat and breathless and out of shape and staggering around and it's just like i mean it's it's basically fucking killed it's basically fucking killed his career completely it, really I, in it? so many ways it's so sad again i know this is the sort of the big concept of the hendrix thing which is you know it was um you had the moment you can't wreck anything to do with hendrix now because he's not alive you can't he didn't do any awful collaborations with Pete Waterman or something, you know. Um, and But you just sort of feel that Phil's just dismantling our ability to listen to and enjoy Pantera and and down. I mean, hoovering exactly. won't be the same now. <laughs> yeah, no, I think a lot of metal <laughs> fans feel like that. I think I certainly don't listen to Pantera or down or anything that Phil Anselmo's done as much as I used to because it does make me feel a little weary about... I, I, I don't know. I'm just not as comfortable with those songs as I used to be. I will listen to them still, but not with the same frequency that I used to. I just see. I I, I wanted to say as a as I, I kind of am. I, I don't know when the last time I listened to Pantera was. It's been a little while, but I'd still listen to Pantera. But then I have my own. You know, that's mine now. Yeah, I don't care yeah. what what he's getting up to is whatever he's getting up to. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I wouldn't want to see Phil Anselmo dismantling Pantera songs in 2021. No. I've not really got any interest in seeing that whatsoever. To be perfectly honest with you, no. but there are three other guys in Pantera, and this whole like you mustn't listen to Pantera thing that happens yeah. quite a lot at the moment. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm going to listen to Pantera because there are three other people in it. You know. The guitar and the drums in Pantera is the thing for me. Yeah. When I think of Pantera, I think of fucking Dimebag Daryl. I think about what a fucking lovely man. Like I interviewed Rex and I interviewed Vinnie Paul. I interviewed Vinnie Paul about three times. Vinnie was the fucking nicest, best dude ever. And I've never heard anyone say anything bad about Dimebag ever. So I am not letting new, you know, kind of... 20 or like 2015 onward drunk fat useless phil anselmo wreck my relationship with pan with with those three people and i think you know i i would rather that that's i'd rather think about those people when i think about pantera yeah i'm not letting pantera be defined by phil anselmo no totally no way yeah yeah that's a good way to look at it mm. Anything to add to that, Gil? I'm ju- I'm really shocked. I mean, I'm sort of shocked, not shocked. Like I, I was aware he was a bit iffy, but just the stupidity, rather than the shocking statement, uh, it, it's just, I'm just it's just such a stupid, like just to blow up your career. I mean, just I, I'm totally baffled by that. Yeah. Christ. <laughs> yeah. Well, wait till you get to hear what we're about to talk about. So that was down. And by association, Philip Anselmo. We're going to end the show. It's not really a particularly fun way to end the show, but we're going to end the show all the same with Lost Profits. Now, you may be familiar with a few bits and bobs of this, mate. I'm not going to lie. It's been fairly high profile. Um, When you left Metal Hammer in April 2012, Lost Profits released their fifth album, Weapons. It charted at a rather disappointing, for them, I'd say, number nine in the UK charts. The Betrayed, the previous album, peaked at number three. Liberation Transmission was at number one. And Start Something peaked at number four. So Lost Profits had come off the back of five top five albums, or three, sorry, three top five albums on the trot. Um, Weapons also wasn't particularly well received as a as a record either, but they toured it nonetheless. I think they did the Warp tour, um, and on the fourteenth of November two thousand twelve, the band played the Newport Centre in Wales, which was their last ever show. Gil, before we get in any deeper into this, 
what was your reasoning for picking Lost Profits? Well, I know I realise it's pretty bleak, um, but uh, and makes the Phil Anselmo thing seem like you know, or doing a Mooney yeah. or something. Are, are you being yeah. served? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, but actually, I wanted to raise it because I wanted to see what they've, what they've done, or what the, the people since have done. Because if you've got that kind of, those concrete boots on your reputation or by association, what can you do? Is, is, has there been sympathy? Has there been anonymity, right? Getting into something that's not got a different name or, oh, yeah, no one knows this, but the keyboardist is now in the Sneaker Pimps revival uh, or something. And... I just sort of interested to hear. I think we mentioned on the thing last time, and again, you know, that the band should just like do a, a concept album about how awful it is, and then draw a line, and then sort of move on. But I just have no idea because start something. I'm gutted. I just can't. I, not. I just can't really listen to it anymore. I loved yeah. start something. I was right there at that moment, um, and it's just so fantastic. Um, you know, enjoyed a couple of songs off Transmission Liberation. Thing, eviction um and um yeah i just so I'm, I'm interested to hear what they've done since really that's why i put them on the list not because i really want to rake over the harrowing horrendous shit um of ian yeah well let's concentrate on that shall we we should just say i mean i'm sure people know what happened but it was the 19th of december watkins was arrested um he has been sentenced to 29 years in prison plus six more on an extended license. That was on the 18th of December, 2014. So he still remains incarcerated. The rest of the band, Lost, uh, the Lost Profits band, um, formed a brand new band called No Devotion and released an excellent album called Permanence in 2015. Renfrey has a question about it for oh, me. I guys. do. I do. <laughs> um, the remaining members of the band started a new project called No Devotion, but it was fronted by who? A, Jeff Rickley from Thursday, B, Sean Smith from The Blackout, or C, Colin Doran from 100 Reasons. Oh, 100 Reasons. Were they Welsh? Were they, were they another Welsh band? No, they were from, they're from uh, Surrey. Surrey band, yeah, yeah okay. Because um, um, what's Blackout's Welsh? Welsh, I mean, yeah. I don't know why the Lost Prophets would necessarily throw the net locally when looking for a new singer. And who was the other person you said? Um... Jeff Rickley from Thursday. Thursday, they're an American band. Um, I'm trying New to, Jersey. But, yeah. Oh, that's really tough. I have to I have, I have, I'll go with 100 Reasons Guy. He was probably free. It was actually Jeff Rickley from Thursday. Really? Because are Thursday Ooh. going then? I suppose not. They'd split up at this point, or they were about to split up, weren't they? And yeah. then they kind of got back together. And Stuart Richardson from Lost Profits played bass in Thursday when they reformed. But then I think Thursday have split up since then as well. Yes, So it's all been a bit all over the place. And we actually did a podcast recently talking about No Devotion and how much we both really, really enjoyed that record. It won album of the year in really? Kerrang. What does it sound like? Describe it to me. I've not heard it. What? Um, 80s synthy uh, yeah New Order yeah uh, The Cure kind of very very lush gothic-y post-punk kind of 80s electronica it's wicked I think you'd really like it actually mate I think you'd really like it it's really 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 fucking good really fucking good we haven't had a follow-up record to it yet and what year was it going to be after we put that 2015 we've not had a, a follow-up in five years even though it was great and it was out no. of the year yeah lazy 
<laughs> well, well, not quite, not quite. Because the follow-up apparently has been recorded, but a couple of them left. I mean, we sort of... So we, we actually heard from Lee from Lost Profits when mm. we put our, um, our, 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 ish, our episode on No Devotion out. And he said... He kind of actually filled in a couple of the blanks that we had from that we questioned. Yeah. Uh, one of them was he did confirm that the members of Lost Profits did smash up their gold discs after they heard about Ian Watkins. They went into the garage and smashed all of their memorabilia from the band to pieces, mm. um, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And um, And No Devotion was sort of created in the harrowing stasis and aftermath of all of that stuff going on so it's quite a haunted sounding record but jeff rickley has brought in i mean we spoke about it at the time if you want to go and listen to that that's up now if you want to go and listen to it uh it's a lot of stuff regarding his divorce or his split mm-hmm. with his um partner at the time so lyrically it's not really related to what the guys in lost profits are going through but musically maybe is a bit and um we were like oh it's weird isn't it where have they gone Two of them have left the band, so they don't have a drummer now, and I believe Jamie, the keyboard player, has left as well. But they've recorded a new record, and they've just been having the trouble getting it released, essentially. So, you know, I think, hopefully, fingers crossed, we will hear a new No Devotion record next year, maybe. My question is, I don't know if you guys know this well enough, but again, in terms of the songwriters, uh, with Jamie, I think he was sort of a fairly key songwriter, but I don't know that. I'd like to check that. Is that, you know, if your songwriters leave, you know, you can't have lower than Atlantis if Mike Deuce has left for all of the reasons. Yeah. But within Profits, what was left? Was there anything that was going to be able to produce songs left in the battle? Write I, songs, sorry? I believe it was the songwriters left, wasn't it? Because Jamie was the mm. DJ turntable guy. And I don't want to be that guy, but DJs very rarely write material in battle. Offensive, but... Honest. <laughs> um I'm pretty Liam sure Liam Howlett writing a strongly worded email to us. <laughs> well, that, that, that is a very good point, actually. But you know, in these kind of bands, um, I so I think it was Lee and Stewart, wasn't it? I think I think they were the main songwriters and prophets. Yeah, I mean, I presume. I mean, I think Watkins wrote all the lyrics yeah. and vocal parts to Lost Prophets, but they've got a. I mean, I would argue a far better vocalist in Jeff Rickley in the band now. Definitely. A far, far superior vocalist yep. and lyricist to Ian Watkins. Yep. Um, the album's really, really fucking great. I mean, it's... I feel like everybody... I mean, to answer your question again, we've sort of... We're treading ground that we've, we've put out recently or we put out this year. But I feel like most people were very sympathetic to Lost, to the, the the rest of the members of Lost Profits. And most people wanted that album to be good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There was no, I don't, I don't feel, I mean, it, I, I said before, you know, I played it on Team Rock, the song Stay, the first single when it came out and said, you know, and people hated it because they, they kind of didn't like it because of what it sounded like. Cause they were all Gumby fucking morons and they only liked, and stuff that like Saxon, anything that that is or sounds like Saxon was all they ever wanted to hear. Just like stuff from early Iron Maiden, that's all they wanted to hear. And it, then it's not a metal record in any way. It's like, not a metal record. Not at a, all. there's not a millisecond of metal on that record. Yeah, and they're like, oh fucking, this is shit. Why don't yeah. why don't just play the Cure? And I was like, I yeah, fucking yeah. wish I could play the Cure. But um, so they they didn't like it and then when they found out it's people from lost profits you did have a bunch of people going they knew they knew they must have known they must have known but you know they were as a pretty small minority of people i think most right-thinking people 
were like, this band deserve a chance, surely. How can they you deserve. not? How, like, how can you not be sympathetic? Well, it could have gone either way, right? You could have had the whole like, you know, you guys must have known you enabled it. You turned, you know, you looked the other way. Um, my understanding is, is that the decline happened fairly quickly because you got into meth, right? And um, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, that it happened really quick. But I, that's what I thought. I, I assumed the guys would become pariahs because. Um, people would have like well you must have known you must have seen it you know how how can you you know worked with this person and not seen their character or, or whatever it is but you're right I'm glad that it's gone the way that it has so I can now stop listening to Down yeah. but listen to No Devotion instead <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I actually listened to an interview uh, with um, with Stuart Richardson and he said he was saying you know he basically said I never really liked Ian ever at any point he was like, I always thought he was a fucking douchebag. And I don't think that he was going, oh, I knew what he was getting up to. But he was like, I had no idea. He And he was saying, you know, there was stuff like when he missed a show on the Warp Tour once because he was just fucking vanished. And he just kept vanishing all the time and they would go mental. But they didn't know what he was getting up to. It's ridiculous to think that he knew what he was getting up to. Um, busy shame for the actual Lost Profits. I mean, weirdly, like I don't and haven't listened to Lost Profits for fucking ages. And sometimes I feel like I might do, and then I go, "Oh, I don't know," or because I, they were—they actually were great, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I mean, they had a, there were a handful of really odd ones. I saw them at the forum towards sort of around the twenty ten mark. I saw them at the forum, and uh, and Ian wasn't lit, and I thought, "Oh, they've made a mistake with the lighting when he came on that the spotlight wasn't wasn't on him." And then at no point did the sh- during the show did the light come on him at all. He was in complete darkness for the whole show. And it was so strange. Um, and so it just the wheels sort of seemed like they were they were coming off at that point. And I, I don't think I saw them particularly early on. But yeah, to your point about them being fantastic, start something is just that's the tragedy. It's such a great record um, that's now kind of unless you can, again, Steve, like somehow sort of replace the memory, if you know what I mean, or like sort of draw a line like you have with Pantera and go well that's harder to do i mean i do think that is that i do find that more like slightly more you're never going to stop thinking about it that's that's the thing steve you're never even if you get to last train home third song in Mm. you never you never just you're never going to stop thinking about it Mm. i mean lost profits were one of those bands that for me i mean you can i could listen to the instrumental versions of pantera songs and still be like this is fucking great i'm not sure i could listen to instrumental versions of lost profits and go oh this is amazing those kind of melodies and those big choruses are sort of the thing that that made lost profits good and they've got you know like the riff on burn burn is a fucking great riff but you all go burn burn the station mm. like that's what you do yeah. um uh, so it is kind of a bit harder to not and yeah, and there's just some bits of it that just feel a bit creepy. I mean, I actually, when I say I haven't listened to Lost Profits for ages, I was fannying around on YouTube looking at old, like, festival sets from Reading and Download and stuff a few months ago. And I think I said this to you, Renfrey. And I happened upon Lost Profits at Reading Festival in 2011, I think it might have been. 2010, 2011. And they had the backdrop said Mega Lols in massive writing on the back of the stage. And that is kind of blood chilling. If you know much about what that, how that relates to Ian Watkins in his case, um, seeing that written on the back of their like 
backdrop on the stage, I was like, oh, God, mm. this is horrible. That's horrible. So it's not nice. And I just, you know, it's just, they're one of those bands that's just like, well, they're gone now, aren't they? They're just gone. Yeah. It's just like, you know, I, just, I don't need to listen to them and I don't want to, so I won't, I guess. Come on, I just, um, only today, um, so that we don't have to finish on <laughs> on that one, is, do yeah. you, I, Steve, you, I, you and I didn't know each other at this point, but in 2004, I was just absolutely obsessed with the Towers of London. Um, wow. I mean, because right. you, you know me well, that I like my hair metal, my rock, I like punk. Um, and I wanted something sort of authentic. You know, we talked about authenticity, all the kind of um, bands like Young Guns and stuff. It was all, they're all just sort of, you know, congenial, nice, affable public school boys. And there's a place for that in the world, but I don't want it fronting my, my rock and punk and metal. So these guys came along and they were, again, like they were the real deals. They fought, they were horrible wankers who did loads of coke and had sex with anything that moved and some things that didn't. Um, and it was just brilliant. It was, you know, they were playing at tiny little venues like on the rocks on uh, Dawson Road, uh, Shoreditch High Street. And you could get up close. It was just brilliant. I loved it. Um, and then it obviously all completely imploded. Um, but they're back. Ta- yeah, they Towers back. of Lo- yeah. it's ri- they're back. I-, I can't tell you how it's the worst. Re- do you what you hating reunions? Everything you've said about Motley Crue, I would say uh, this sort of bunch of sort of office workers. Um, actually, they're not office workers. The rest of the band <laughs> are, are fine. You know, Snell. Wait, and- do, you, do you know? Do you know what Dirk and Donny Tourette's real yes, name? Yes, I do actually. Patrick real, real and Francis. Right. Patrick and Francis yeah. Brannan. And, yes. And that's, yeah. I just, I can't believe they're back. Like, it's just, he, because the, the, the front, I, the whole thing, I mean, you just got to, anyone who knows who Towers of London are um, and remembers, obviously, his uh, ill-fated appearance um, on Nanky, oh, yeah, never mind the Buzzcocks, oh, just... Well, and everything, just, basically. Just, you must have watched that of yourself for 15 years. If anyone ever wanted to put you in your bo- you know, in your place and remind you of something awful that you did, like, you know, shit yourself when you got drunk once. It's like, oh, you went on, this was you. This is the you that you are on the telly, seen by quite a few people, and they're back. They are. And actually, somebody did a, a video where <sighs> they played, they got him and they played him, they made him react to his own appearance on oh. Nevermind the Buzzcocks, which you should go and watch. We did. Now, this is a good reminder that uh, Broken Records will be coming back in the new year. So yes. we have a section on the show, Gil, Broken Records, where we rate the worst albums ever made. And the first uh, Towers of London record, I believe, sat. Uh, in fact, I've got it right. I've got the list right in front of me. Um, so I can tell you that the Towers of London, that first record that you're talking about, we finished with that uh, incredibly one, two, three, at sixth, the sixth worst record that we had found in the kind of 25, 26 odd that we had done so far on Broken Records. Um, Towers of London, Blood, Sweat and Towers. We had that down as a sixth worst, worst album. Uh, it's really not dated very well. And their return is... Uh, is, 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 is it's not very it good. Just it just doesn't work. It, I just and and I'm I mean I'm I'm still reeling from I it. I can't believe I can't believe that of all the bands you potentially could have ended with kept up to date with. <laughs> or no kept up to date with. You're like, I didn't know about Phil Anthony. I didn't know about this band. I didn't know about that. But you do know about the Towers of London. <laughs> That's mad. I can, literally I Googled it today. <laughs> I don't know why it occurred to me because I knew it was coming on the podcast and it just sort of thought, um yeah, I just I wonder, I just wonder, 
And sure enough, based on, you know, on the reunions, everyone's, you know, doing a reunion. Um, and yeah, sure enough, they're back. Um, I mean, I just he's wearing a boiler suit. I watched a couple of live gigs and he's just he's got his hair short and he's just clearly sort of embarrassed to do all the things that he used to do, like spit at the people in the front of the stage and, you know, smoke a fag and just walk about all surly just for no reason. It just would look idiotic <laughs> at age 41 or however old he is to be sort of doing that. It just... Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, who won't reform? Well, who won't be back? No, Yeah, quite. Not many people. I mean, just so you know, uh, when they did reform uh, last year... They reformed with Rev and Snell yeah. back in the band, finally. Oh, I love Snell. Snell, <laughs> real name Adrian. They're, Rev. They're, those guys were lovely, right? Rev Rev and Snell were really nice guys. And actually, those two then went to play live for the Prodigy. And they were in the Prodigy's live band for a bit, who apparently were kicked out for behaving too much like they were all in a band together. And it was a bit like, chill out, you hired guns, yeah? Um, I mean, that's all hearsay, of course. Like, I mean, I'll probably go... You know, slanderous, but um, ancient, dusty <laughs> memories. But they were all nice guys. It was just, it was just Donnie and Dirt, really. And I think that Tommy guy was a bit of a um, like to fight. Um, Tommy Brunette. His real name is Tommy Dayath. Like you know, the big posh family, the Dayath family. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I just. You, that you should have like your broken records about the worst re- reunions or the. <laughs> Praying for certain bands to not reunite. Yeah, the headpiece still going. I bet they all. Yeah, yes, of course they are. Silly question. Headpiece still going. Yeah. Headpiece is still going, and they won't play any of the old songs. Like they don't want it. They won't. But I saw them. They supported Skin Dread on a tour, and I saw about three dates of that tour, and they were like, "Oh, we're not going to play." But one night they refused to play Bartender. Like, come on, lads, come on. Here's a new one. Here's our reggae oh, album. God, They've done yeah. a reggae album. <laughs> yeah. Fucking idiots. Um, yeah, they're all back. Even the ones that have died. Wayne Static. Uh, I think we spoke about this last time. Wayne Static died. And they've replaced him by with a bloke in a sort of zombie Wayne Static mask with his hair done up the same way. I think we spoke about it last time, so I won't go too much into it. But yes, everybody's reformed. I mean, in one hand, you've missed nothing. <laughs> but on the other hand, you've missed so I, much. We, the, the problem is that I want to do this more frequently because it's so fascinating to hear, but then you've sort of, you've mm. plumbed the depths. Even you and I have reformed, Steve. Yeah. Look at this. Hey? <laughs> yeah? That really is the most underwhelming reformation. <laughs> uh, Causing ripples. That is, that is, a, that is, yeah, that is, of all the things I've done, this, that, this is the, the second worst potential podcast reunion. <laughs> and uh, I can't say, I can't say worse well, than you, that. You put enough, <laughs> so you put enough zeros you on the check, Steve. That's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, anyway. Uh, I think that's it. Mm. I think we've done it. Yeah. I think we're finished, don't we? Yeah. All right, lovely. Mate, thanks for coming thanks on, Thanks for having Gil. me. Super Always fun. a pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, I kind of don't want to have to wait another eight years before we ask you on, but I think that's the only way that it's going to work, unfortunately. Maybe we'll try and think up something where we can get you looking at actual new music again. That's yeah. possible, right, Renfrew? Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yeah. Come up with other ideas. Don't just want to make you talk about fucking, you know, broken side and bloody... The glamour of the kill forever you know you go like tourist ass out and make you dig out your old tourist ass <laughs> albums for one last spin i could uh i could i could always prepare a sort of my top 74 mid-90s hardcore uh cassette mixtapes 
<laughs> yeah, not oh, on this okay, show. No, yeah. um, <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait until I do. That's not jungle. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um good all right lovely thanks so much gil um thanks renfrey thank you been nice have a nice christmas everyone i don't think we're gonna have a show next week because it's gonna be actual christmas day so we're gonna have a we're gonna have a day off because we do record this live clearly uh <laughs> and um go to signaturebrew.co.uk and get 10 percent off your beers get them before christmas last minute rushing it to get some beer in for christmas Put Riot Act in the checkout in little letters and you will get that. We'll be back next week or two weeks, I should say. Weeks, and you got yeah. a Beatles, you got a Beatles special probably mm. dropping in between. So that should be nice as well. See you later, everyone. Cheery bye. Goodbye.